Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another installment of the Battle Round. I'm your host, Paul Valley. With me, as always, is my incomparable co-host, Zach Goodman. We are coming to you live from the Press Box Studios here in Baltimore, Maryland, on a beautiful but somewhat overcast, I guess partly cloudy, uh, Saturday morning here in October. Uh, Zach, how you doing this? How you doing today? Not bad, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm kind of getting that... uh, those fall feelings that I always get where yeah. it's like, it's still nice out, but in like two weeks, it's going to be cold and I'm going to be miserable. To be on the re- on the record with this, I'm completely fine with that. You know I'm a cold weather person. Yeah, I hate it. I'm a cold weather person. Yeah, he's rocking a, the North Face hoodie, so yeah. I know Zach's warm. I'm in, I, I, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. Zach's already we- rocking his fall gear, although he is wearing a hoodie with shorts. Yeah. With his high black socks and his white Adidas. Wow, this is... Why are you taking so much of a, a look at my outfit I, here? I, 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 I noticed these things, You man. noticed I, it. I, it, it? You said last week, though, it was the first time you'd ever see me wear shorts, and I've, I've been wearing shorts to the show since, like, May. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much you're really paying attention. I guess I, I wasn't. I I didn't really pay attention all year. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's the shoe and sock ensemble okay. that you got going on. I don't. I don't know. I noticed the white Adidas with the black socks, I, I, the shorts, I, and the North Face hoodie today. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a you fall look, outfit. You look cozy. The only I, thing I am. I am. Only thing you're missing is your pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, I I might go get one after the show. Yeah, you probably will, knowing you. <laughs> anyway, hey, look, the Orioles season ended last uh, last Sunday. They got swept by the Toronto Blue Jays. The Orioles did their best to play spoiler, right? They took two or three from the Red Sox. The Red Sox got in anyway. Then they go to uh, Toronto, and they get swept by the Blue Jays. Unfortunately, the Mariners lost a game on Friday of last week, 2-1, to one, a game where if they won, they, they, they are probably playing in a tiebreaker game on Monday for the wild card, but they ended up losing the game, and they missed out on the playoffs by a game. The Yankees... They go to the wild card game. They get shellacked by the Red Sox six to two. There's a big problem in New York. They don't. This is a team. Now look, you know what? we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to the Yankees here in a second. We're gonna keep talking about the Orioles, and we'll move on to. The I, I am excited to talk about the Yankees. I have a lot to say about Aaron Boone. Uh, so the Orioles, they, they finished, we did, we all do. Uh, the Orioles finished the season 52 and 110, second worst record in Orioles franchise history behind only that debacle that was the 2018 season. Season highlights for me, Cedric Mullins, he goes 30, 30, 30. That's 30 homers, 30 steals, 30 doubles um, because he's voted most valuable Oriole. Mm-hmm. I never actually saw the voting, but there's no doubt that he was the most valuable Oriole. There were some other votes. It was interesting. Like I, I saw the breakdown the Rock posted, and I, can, I, I can't remember who the other ones were. I'm sure Trey Mancini. And, and I'm, I'm, and I'm sure Ryan Mountcastle, John yeah. Means probably got some, but yeah. it's it was always going to go to Cedric Mullins. Basically, by June, it was going to go to him. Yes. Um, Ryan Mountcastle makes a legitimate claim for Rookie of the Year. He's probably not going to win. He might finish top three. I think he'll probably finish top five um, because the Orioles were so bad. If the Orioles were good, he'd be getting some some love for the top spot. Sure. I, I 
So I have a hot take here, and I think a lot of Orioles fans are, are going to be mad at me for this. I've said it in a few Orioles group chats, and I always get completely attacked every time I say this, but I don't think he should. I just think there are more deserving players that, that should win Rookie of the Year. Um, there, there are some other guys that did a little better. Ryan Mountcastle was great. I loved what he did. But there are some other guys. I mean, his, his war was only .9 for the year. Yeah, but they take defense into account. Sure, they do. But you know, should that not count, though? I feel like it should. Nobody says, oh, that guy caught a lot of balls really well, mm, but he true. should be Rookie of the Year. Now, look, I, I get it. Randy Rosarena put up a 2020 season, and, yeah. and he was the he had the inside track just based on his performance yes. in October last year. Right? Ten home runs in the postseason as, as a rookie, and he still maintains rookie status this year. It was always probably going to go to him, and if he wins, I wouldn't be shocked. I think Shane McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Rays and Luis Garcia of the I, Texas Rangers are more deserving to pitch that well in, in your rookie year mm-hmm. for Shane McClanahan pitching in the American League East. Uh, for Luis Garcia on a bad Rangers team that lost 100 games, um, I think they have a rightful claim. Um, Ryan Mountcastle, I think he was overall the best offensive rookie in baseball. This year, I mean, you look at he's top two or three in every offensive category. Um, whatever, as long as he continues, I look for the Orioles. I don't, I don't need awards. If we're, if we're gonna hang our hat on that, it really shows you how bad this year was. Yeah, I mean, right? I, look, I mean, he's not gonna win, and I'm not upset about that. You know, it, it's it's an award that you'll probably forget about in four years. And you'll say Ryan Mountcastle won Rookie of the Year. Great. He, his production to the Orioles and his value to the Orioles is more important than any award. No, it one hundred percent is. People don't forget about Rookie of the Year though. If you, yeah. win, if you win Rookie of the Year, people don't forget about it. I guess I just don't really care all that much. Yeah. No. I mean, look. If he wins, yeah, it's gonna be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. If he doesn't win, I don't care. Yeah. Like that, I'm not gonna be like, oh, Ryan Mountcastle should have won. No, I, I don't care. That's exactly it for me. That's yeah. how I feel. That's if, how I feel. If he wins, awesome. I don't think he will. And I've kind of, I've kind of uh, resigned myself to that fact, basically since May, mm-hmm. June. Yeah, sure. So because you, when you saw the Orioles were going to be bad. Yeah, you saw the Orioles were going to be bad. Uh, you knew uh, Ryan Mountcastle really didn't have a position. He hit 190 in in uh in April with I think four home runs. Mm-hmm. So or I know I think he had two home runs in April. So. Yeah. I was looking at Ryan Mountcastle, and even more of a legitimate claim if he hits 270 with six home runs in April. But that's not what happened, right? So he got off to a slow start. The Orioles were terrible this year, and whatever, man. As long as he comes back next year, I think he'll probably hit closer to 300 next year. Yeah, I, I agree. He'll probably hit closer to 40 home runs. He'll probably drive in 100, especially with a, with a better lineup. That's That lineup has to be better just because of Adley Rutschman. Sure. Right? So, uh, look, as long as he has a long and fruitful career for the Orioles, that's all I really care about. John Means, so it's a no-no in Seattle. I was actually talking with the table at the restaurant that I work at last night about John Means. Um, we were talking about how Baco had a, had a Mexican flair type of menu on Cinco de Mayo, and they were like, oh, that sounds awesome. How was that? I was like, I don't know. I wasn't here. I was at Plaza de Mexico watching John Means throw a no-hitter. Um, they had the opening series sweep of Boston in Fenway, which prompted me to say, are we supposed to just believe this team is bad just because everybody says they're supposed to be? This team may not be good, but they're certainly not bad. No, I was 100% wrong. Uh, that was me getting fooled and getting all in my feels in April about the Orioles playing some winning baseball for a short period of time. I think I retweeted it, so I might have to take that retweet yeah. back. <laughs> I might have to scroll back to my April tweets and and, uh, and grin it out. I, I agreed with you at the time. I mean, they, they looked like a 
when you saw the start that Matt Harvey had and the start that John Meads had and, and Bruce Zimmerman and Bruce Zimmerman of course with that you know as as the number 3 in that rotation you went all right this team is going to be at least okay. Like they're probably we 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 both predicted around the seventy win mark. I, 70, I can't remember. I, I said high water mark seventy five of everything goes. Yeah. Down. So we both predicted around the seven. I think I predicted sixty seven. I want to say that was the number I thought. And obviously I was you know for uh, fifteen games off. So it didn't go the way the Orioles planned. But I think there was a especially at the beginning of the season. There's always that. Uh, glimmer of hope. And by the way, there this was showed on one of the uh, the playoff broadcasts. I believe it was the Yankee Red Sox broadcast, uh, the wild card game, that the Orioles were in first place for eight days, which is seven days more than the Yankees were in first place this year. They, so, were, in, they were in first place more days than the Yankees and Blue Jays combined. Right. Oh, yeah, that's actually true. Yeah, so, so the Yankees and Blue Jays had five... Five games combined in first place. Five days combined in first place. The Orioles had eight. Third most in the American League right. East. So, and... And... They get the number one overall pick in the draft next year, yeah. which is a big deal. One is better than two. You have your pick of the litter. There's, you can take whoever you want. Yes. It could be Elijah Green. It could be Drew Jones, Andrew Jones' son. It could be Brooks Lee. Uh, Brooks Lee. Uh, I think it's probably going to be Brooks Me Lee. Me too. And what, <laughs> Me a per- too. what a perfect name mm-hmm. for a guy that's going to play in Baltimore, Brooks Lee. It's a baseball name. It's a, it's a really, really good oh. baseball name. And, of course, Brooks Robinson, Brooks of Robinson, course. But, exactly. but Brooks Lee is like a – it's almost like Mike Trout level of a name where it's just like a perfect baseball name. And, look, we, we know the Orioles draft – you know that we we know what they like to do. We know their strategy. College players is their strategy generally. And look, a lot can change. Like Elijah Green, <coughs> if he strikes out at a thirty four percent rate in twenty twenty two in his high school season, I don't even think he he's going to go top ten. Teams just don't really like thirty four percent. He can have all the raw talent in the world, but if you're swinging and missing on every single pitch, but you end you know at the end of that bat at end of an at bat you turn it into something. I don't know how much teams value that. They they don't want to see strikeouts as high as thirty four percent. You look at more of that like twenty two to twenty five range. Elijah Green could really drop. And look, they've taken a lot of emphasis off the strikeout because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a three true outcome sport at this point. It is. It is strikeouts, walks, and home runs. So that's what that's what teams look at. As long as you walk, yeah. As long as you hit the ball out of the ballpark, they don't care how much you strike out. And, and to be fair with Green. He is a five-tool player. He does everything well. Yeah. But the strikeouts, to me, are a really big red flag, especially when he gets into minor league ball, which is so much of a different uh, a different animal than, than high school baseball. Exactly, exactly. So we'll see how that goes. I don't think it's going to be Elijah Green. I don't think it's going to be a high school player. That's just This Orioles regime, they, they go for college bats, especially at the top of the draft. But are you ready to hear about Elijah Green all winter? And see people posting Elijah Green videos. Oh no, but that's one hundred percent what we're gonna see. Winter. Oh, <laughs> uh, can't wait to see you. Know, I saw him hit a home run in in Ed Smith Stadium mm-hmm. this over the summer, and I said, "Get used to that." Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It, because that's the guy. That's the guy everybody's been talking about. But we all know that. I mean, Kumar Rocker was the guy this time last year. You know what I mean? Uh, the year before, or two years before that, Bobby Witt Jr. was the guy. You know? Right. Exactly. It, it changes so much. And right. I, I, can I note something real quick? Because. Twenty five. So in in the year twenty to uh, two thousand twenty two thousand twenty one. We're not going to do that. Um, we, I'm just looking at Elijah Green's Max Preps page. Um, I believe this is the correct one. I, I'm not. Insu- I'm not sure this is the correct Elijah Green, but we're going to go with it. It says he hit only three twenty one, which, if that's true for high school, is not great. Like Bobby Wood Jr. hit like five seventy. Yeah, in, if you're playing so high that's school, that's a little ball, weird. You, you want to? I mean, they're probably just looking at his raw talent. But you unless, probably, I'm, you, unless I'm looking. 
looking at the wrong Let me person. See. Okay, tur- tur- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show you. I mean, this is, uh, this I'm gonna is, show you. This is on Max Preps. This is Elijah Green. That I mean, it looks like him. Is it probably. Texas? I think he's. Isn't he in Texas? This is IMG Academy, Bradenton, Florida. That should be him, right? I don't know. We're gonna look it up. We're gonna I figure think, this I out. I think he does play for. I, for some reason, I heard you he might be right. Texas. I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, I don't know. I, I I'm not. You know. Following high school baseball players, I, maybe I should be, but I, I I don't do that. Oh no, so that actually is him because it says he goes to IMG Academy. So three twenty one in high school, like that's not, not good. It's not really that good. Like there were, I mean, obviously IMG Academy is a really really high level program. Like they play a lot of really good teams. They play the best teams in the country. But again, Bobby Witt Jr. was at a, you know at a very very high level uh, high school and he hit like five seventy. So I don't know three twenty one. That's like I played baseball in a men's thirty and over league with a guy who was the last All American mm-hmm. in high school to come out of Maryland. Um and he hit like over 500 in yeah, his high like school that, career. And what did he do? Did he go on to play minor league baseball? No, he actually hurt his shoulder mm. and he, he had he had a kid um while he was in high school so he ended up just going into the workforce and now he's got the he he, he still plays good ball player. Um I actually got him to ground ground out to the pitcher which nice, me nice. this past Sunday. I faced off against him and uh and then and then, and, ball. and then Paul threw it over the first base fence. Oh uh, no, dude, <laughs> dude, it was it was like a 20 pitch at bat. Wow. He so he crushes fastballs. The guy absolutely eats fastballs for dinner, right? But I know that, and I also know that he is always out in front. So I all mm. I did was throw him change-ups and curveballs. And he literally, we were playing up at John Carroll, and if you know where the baseball field of I John do. Carroll is, as opposed to where the school is, mm-hmm. you know the school's off and to the left yep. of, the, of the baseball field. He almost hit the school like 10 times in wow. a row. Just wow. basically so far out in front of the curveball, and hitting it so far foul. Eventually, I threw him a, I think it was a, it was a fastball towards, kind of in the dirt. And no, it was a changeup in the dirt. And he tapped it back to me, and I threw him out at the plate nice. at, at first. So anyway, this isn't the Paul B- Valley baseball highlight reel. Um, so for the Orioles, biggest highlight has to be Trey Mancini's return from colorectal cancer. Uh, we don't really, I mean, I mean, look, the the st- the the season that Trey had. Even he would tell you it's not up to his standards, right? Hit about 251, 21 homers, about 70 RBIs. That's not Trey Mancini's standards. And that's not Trey Mancini as a player. That, right. That's just, it, it really wasn't. I mean, you, you look at the power in the end of the, the last two months, really. You look at August and September, he had virtually no power. Yeah, I mean, he, he was hitting everything on the ground. Everything wasn't that hard hit. It was really, it, it's hard to watch a little bit. I was kind of feeling bad for him because well, you, you just know the, the energy drain that he was feeling. Well, yeah. I mean, once you go through chemo, you're never the same. Right. You're, you're never the same guy. Right. Uh, or, or girl. Uh, you're just never the same player. Yeah. Um, or, and forget that. Your, your body's never the same. Um, so he had that. He probably wasn't as strong as he normally would have been in the offseason, and he probably worked. He probably overworked in the offseason trying to get back into form. Mm-hmm. Started the first the first three months, he was pretty damn good, mm-hmm. right? And then he kind of fell off because that's what happens, right? He kind of got exhausted playing in the heat, playing every single day, coming off of cancer. It's acceptable. It's explainable. I'm not mad at him for it. I think he's going to come back better next year if he comes back. And we're going to talk with Stan about Stan the Fan Charles about this in a little bit. Um, it might be to me the most intriguing piece of this all season to see what they do with Trey Mancini because I look any way you do this, it's not really 
I, I, I don't want to use the word beneficial, but it's almost the word I would use. Because if you non-tender Trey Mancini, it's a horrible look for your whole organization, and you'll be blasted by I don't think they're going to non-tender him. I think they're going to try to yeah, trade him. I, but then again, when you, when you trade him, do you really want to lose the value he does bring you for something that probably won't be great? Like, you, you won't get much. You, you're going to get yeah. probably a few, like, you know... 18-year-old guys are playing in the Dominican Summer League who Michael Elias says could be good by the time they're 23-24. They're, they're better served to see if he can bounce back next year I agree. and trade him at the deadline. I agree. It, right now, his value's probably as low as it's going to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they're prob- And he's on the wrong side of 30 now. But the biggest issue, again, I've mentioned this before, but $8 million for that. Is that worth that? You know, If that's- you're going to pay anybody... Eight million dollars isn't going to be Trey Mancini. I guess so. You know, yeah. and all apologies to Ryan Mountcastle and Cedric Mullins. They're nowhere near um, the 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 player that they are is worth that much. Yes. But as far as their contract is concerned, they're nowhere near that payday. Yet. No, no, they, no. They got a couple no. more years till they get close to that. Um, so with with Trey, you co- you let do you let him come back? You let him DH for you next year. Get off to a better start. Maybe get back to being Trey Mancini. The Trey Mancini hits two ninety mm-hmm. with. I mean, because this was a career low for homers in him, sure. for him in a full season, yeah. right? So again, let him get back to the guy that hits two ninety with thirty home runs, uh, and then you trade him. Um, because I don't think there's a future here. I think we can all agree there's not a future here. There's too many. There's too many younger better players coming up through the system. There really isn't, and I wish there was. I wish there was a place for Mancini on this team that is going to be competing, hopefully in in three years, but. I, you know, you look at all of the players that are coming up through this pipeline, even a guy like Tyler Nevin, where would they get Tyler Nevin playing time if Trey Mancini is on this team in 2022? I I think what you want to see from Nevin is an extended look. I personally, I want to see Nevin get an extended look. I want to see him get, you know, 300 at-bats next year and see what he can do. They gave DJ Stewart this incredibly long extended look. Why not a guy like Tyler Nevin? Why shouldn't he earn the same thing? You know, Nevin, you know, he didn't have a great year, but... DJ Stewart hit in the minors. He did. He did. Nevin did not hit this year. He didn't. I agree. But hey, I, what, what do you bat like two twenty eight? I'll check it out. But I, I do think he deserves a chance, right? Like I, I think if you do decide that Trey Mancini is not coming back, Tyler Nevin's the guy. He's he's the guy that's going to take over for Trey Mancini. Um, I would I would expect him to get you know again uh, three hundred plus at bats. Why is Tyler Nevin the guy? Just because he plays who first else? base. I mean, who else? Who who would realistically step in for Mancini? Obviously, you have outfielders like you know Kyle Stowers and Newstrom. But I mean, if you have if you're really looking for someone who can back Malcastle up at first base, I'm just curious if who would be the guy. Maybe 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 you have uh, Newstrom play a little first base. I don't know. I I mean, that's assuming that Newstrom can play first base. Sure, I guess they could teach him in spring training. I mean, right. they they even taught Ryan McKenna to play second in, in spring training this year. So well, well, what is it from Moneyball? Uh, first base is easy. Is he, <laughs> tell him, Ron. Yeah, fair. It's incredibly difficult. Fair. It's it, it's not just like oh I just have to catch throws. I mean it's there's so much more to it than that. I don't know. Maybe it will be Tyler Nevin. Maybe we won't, we won't have to worry about it because it'll be Trey Mancini. It could be JD Mundy. It could be Andrew Dashbach. I mean I I nothing against Tyler Nevin. Mm-hmm. I just kind of think he is what he is. I mean if you hit two twenty at AAA, I don't really think that there's a place for you on a major league roster. And, and I don't need to I don't need to see you play for three months to realize hey. There's probably not a spot for you on this team. I'm more intrigued by Dashbach with the defense and the power, and by JD Mundy, who just you know would have probably been a sixth round pick in the draft in 2020 had there been six rounds, and tore the cover off the ball before he got injured to end the, end the season. So uh, we got to move on to the playoffs. Um, Red Sox they beat the Yankees six to two in the wild card game. Yankees lineup serious holes, serious holes. It's 
it's a beer league softball team, right? They either homer or they strike out. Uh, Garrett Cole, $36 million a year pitcher, doesn't record an out in the third inning. Uh, they lose 6-2. to two. You got two big hits from Giancarlo Stanton, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they Stanton had a great night. Stanton really oh, yeah. he, he almost was, hit two home runs. He was all over the ball that night, and I was. I, it's funny because the I don't know if you heard the call by the uh, by the Yankees play by play announcer uh, on the radio. I, I I can't remember the name of the person who it was. Um, Might have been John Sterling. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, everyone thought it was gone. Like it, it Stanton thought it was gone. You it, it, you know he, he crushed it, and so I guess the wind knocked it down. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but the ball went like 12 feet up the green monster, and everyone in the stadium thought it was gone. Yeah. Stanton was standing there. That, that, that's a home run. run in 29 out of 30 ballparks. Yeah, yeah. And, and Stanton standing there admiring. He got a single out of it. He got a single out of it. Yankee fans were furious. I mean, yeah. they were they were and torching him. No, he, he ended up on second base. No, he got a single out of that. No, he was on second base because of the throw home that got judged at the plate. He was he he was standing on second base and he was pissed. Yeah, but he only got a single out of it. I mean, they only give you a single, but he was on second base. He ended up at second. How though? Because he went to second on the throw. Oh, got it. Okay, he went to second I got you. on the throw. Okay. So he, w- I don't think he would have gone to third on the throw. Are we? Are we talking about the same play? I think we are. He had two hits. He, he had he had the home run, and yeah. It, and he and he had the ball off the wall that you thought was a home run. Mm-hmm. Judge got thrown out to play. Terrible send by speaking speaking yeah. of Tyler Nevin, <laughs> Phil Nevin, Tyler Nevin's father. Terrible send. You're correct. You're correct. Yeah, yes. I know I'm correct. I was watching the game. Yeah, I was too. I was and, too. And, I, I just... and I remember Stanton standing on second base, being pissed. The judge got thrown out at the plate. Mm. It was a terrible send. It was. It changed the game. Right, because now instead of having one down, or I'm sorry, would have been was that the third out at the plate? Uh, no, 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 no. It, it was so, it was no. the second out. Yeah. So now instead of having one down, runners on second, third in a three-one ball game, you now have two outs, a runner on second, and it's still three-one, and yeah. you end up they end up getting out of the inning. So it, it, and it changed it changed the course of the game. If the Yankees end up scoring two runs there, even one run there, maybe it's not a six-to-two ball game. Maybe it's four-to-three. Going into the ninth inning, you never, and then Stanton hits that home run. You never know. Anyway, is Aaron Boone in trouble? Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I think there's no other way around it. Aaron Boone is not really a good manager. I, I, I've said it before, you know, over and over on the show that I really don't think Aaron Boone brings anything to the Yankees. I think they hired him because he had a great moment in the playoffs for them that made a bunch of fans love him for the the rest of his career and. He came back and became their manager, and I, I think the Yankees looked at it this way. There are a lot of people in baseball, I think increasingly more and more now, that don't particularly think the manager makes a big difference in a in a win-loss for the year. Um, there are a lot of people who believe that, and I think analytics kind of is, is a reason for why people believe that. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I think especially in the playoffs is where it really gets important of what a manager does. A manager's decisions in the playoffs are really key. And Aaron Boone blows it every year. Every mm-hmm. year, he makes bad decisions in the playoffs, and it's like, yeah, the Yankees, they were great this year, right? They they made the playoffs. They weren't great. Well, no, but... That's the, the thing, the, they weren't the, great. And, but some years, they have been in the past. Like, with Aaron, this year, not at all. But the, in, the, in past years, so they the, have the, been much better baseball teams. They were the, great, and then they're horrible in the playoffs. They won 13 games in a row this year at mm-hmm. one point and then immediately went 2-11 and 11 the next 13. So you do you think that's Aaron Boone? Do you think that's the players? What is your take? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, agree. Th- I think they have a lot of holes in that lineup. Glaber Torres <laughs> just suddenly can't hit. Right, he can't hit so, anymore. So, suddenly can't hit. DJ yeah. LeMay, who hit 260 
this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gio Urshela was your most consistent player. He yep. and he and Aaron Judge, right? Um, Voight was hurt most of the year, mm-hmm. and then the, you go out and you get Rizzo, who hit yep. 240. You get Joey Gallo, who is the definition of a beer league softball player. He yes. hit 198 this year. Yeah, ton of ton of home run power, but it's a home run or it's a strikeout, and there's no there's nothing in between, yeah. right? Uh, this is a team. Now look. They're gonna go out and they're gonna sign one of those shortstops. I'm sure they will. They're, yeah. it's, it, they're gonna sign Seager. Probably it's probably gonna be Trevor Story. I would agree. I think Story I, makes a ton of sense I think in that, that ballpark. I think they're gonna they're gonna sign Trevor Story. They're gonna look to get help uh, any way that they can. They gotta get somebody to play center field. You cannot have Aaron yeah. Judge playing center field. No. Brett Gardner is done. And Aaron Hicks, he's okay. They got him on a big extension, a huge extension, yeah, which and, is laughable. Yeah, and he barely plays because yeah. he's hurt all the, time. all the time. And when he does, he's a two forty hitter. Yeah, he's not. Right? He, they 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 keep giving contracts to the wrong oh, dude. I mean, DJ Lemayhew is gonna be what thirty seven years old at the at the end of his contract. Yeah, this is the first year of a six year extension, and he didn't really play that well. And at he's thirty two years old. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like and oh, thirty nine or thirty eight then I guess or maybe thirty seven. It, I'm not be, sure. It'll, he'll be thirty seven at, at the end yeah. of it. Thirty seven years old, but. DJ LeMay, who was a bat, was a batting champion, or damn close to it, each of his right. first two years in New York, and then you sign him to the big extension, then he hits 260, 270. And it, it is embarrassing. I'm going to tell you, it is embarrassing to roll Andrew Velasquez out as your shortstop in the playoffs. And then, it's and, and, and they act like they act like. Oh, this native of the Bronx. He's a great story. He's they love terrible. Him. He's awful. <laughs> he's terrible. He's, how can you have him in Baltimore oh. and everybody in Baltimore hates him because yeah. he's the worst player on a bad team? Yeah. And then he goes to New York and he's some cult hero. Andrew Velasquez is awful. It, it, it is It is simply embarrassing for the Yankees to run out Andrew Velasquez as their starting shortstop in the playoffs. This is why they didn't win anything, right? This is why they, they got stopped immediately. They played a, a pretty trash game, and the reason for that, and not all the reason for that, but one of them is Aaron Boone. Two is because you know it's a three-outcome lineup, basically three-outcome lineup. It's a beer league softball lineup. And you got Andrew Velasquez as your starting shortstop. Right. And they go, oh, well, he, oh, he's from the Bronx, and he's great defense. And I'm like... Who cares? He's hitting like 140. Right. <laughs> we we got we got to get Stan on the line here, but uh yeah. yeah, no, the Yankees, but here's the thing. There's a number of uh, free agent pitchers on the market this offseason. They're going to they're going to be in that market. They're going to be linked to every top free agent. Mm-hmm. They're going to sign a shortstop. My guess is that it's Trevor Story. They're going to get somebody to play the outfield. They're going to maybe through a trade or some kind of signing. I have to look at the free agent outfielders, but they're going to get somebody to play center field. They're going to get a shortstop yeah. and they're going to get another starting pitcher and probably some bullpen help too. Because and, and that might be the only reason that Aaron Boone doesn't lose his job is they're going to try and get him as much talent as possible and give him one more go. Now, if they get him Trevor Story and Max Scherzer's never going to New York. If they get him if they get him Trevor Story and Justin Verlander for on a two-year deal and then they go out and they get uh, some kind of center fielder that can actually play mm-hmm. that's not over the hill and then he still doesn't get to a World Series, then he probably loses his job after next year. I I, I would think he's going to lose his job now. I I, I would say I, he, I think he, he should. I, he should. I, I think he should. I don't know that he will because mm-hmm. I, I think that Brian Cashman doesn't operate the same way yeah. uh, that he would have 15 years ago. Please, you got you to gotta give Stan a call here. Um, Dodgers beat the Cardinals on Chris Taylor's walk-off two-run shot. Scherzer was shaky, four and a third innings pitch, three walks. Wainwright was good, not great, five and a third, four hits, two walks. Former Oriole T.J. McFarland gives up the go for ball to 
to Chris Taylor. We we remember that all too well here. TJ McFarland's been mostly a good reliever in his life, but we have bad memories too. Uh, Red Sox advance to take on Rays, lose game one five to nothing. It looked to me like like Rafael Devers was clearly banged up. JD Martinez was on the roster but injured. A Rosarena literally stole the show with a home run and a straight steal of home. Game two, the Rays are up five nothing. You're feeling like okay. They hit a they hit a grand slam in the first inning. They they score five runs off Chris Sale. You're looking at this team and you're like, wow, they're up five to one. They're gonna run away with this thing. And then the Red Sox just unload. Kike Hernandez goes five for six, drives in three. JD Martinez in his return to the lineup goes four for five with a home run, drives in three. Rafael Devers, who we thought was injured, hits a home run. They hit five home runs. They win this game fourteen to six. Astros beat the White Sox in game one, six to one. Lance McCullers was dominant, six and two third, four hits, no runs. Jordan Alvarez, who might be one of the sneaky best hitters in the playoffs right now, home run and a double that missed being a home run by two feet. Game two, it's a must win for the White Sox in game two. And they come out and look, it was a good game until the seventh. Four four heading into the seventh. Kyle Tucker hits a two-run homer, big five-run inning for the Astros in the seventh inning to get that 9-4 to win in Game 2, take a commanding 2-0 series lead over the White Sox as they head to Chicago before Game 3 tomorrow uh, tomorrow evening. These games before... We, uh, Brewers beat the Braves 2-1. to Corbin Burns was absolutely dominant. Shocker. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they got a... Um, who hit the two-run homer for... Mm. So, I'm not. I, I only caught the end of that game. I didn't see the uh, the whole thing. So I'm, uh, Rowdy Telez, two run homer. Rowdy Telez. Okay. Jock Peterson hit a hit a pinch hit home run for the Braves for their only scoring. They lose that game two to one. So the Brewers take a two one series lead. They have some great pitching. Yeah. They, I mean, they, clearly they win a game and, two and, to one. Brandon Woodruff going today. Another really really good success story for them. Yeah, and then they got Peralta after that. Yep. Uh, Dodgers Giants. Man, how good was Logan Webb? Last night, I mean, amazing. You can't. You, I mean, you blanked the Dodgers in a game where you had to. You had to. Um, ten, uh, ten strikeouts. Right, ten strikeouts and against that lineup. It's so crazy because I have in my notes that the that the Giants fall so short on star power mm-hmm. to the Dodgers, and then who homers for the Giants last night? They're three stars: Buster Posey, mm-hmm. Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. and Brandon Crawford. Yeah. All three hit homers. Those are the three stars. The guys, yeah. Those are those the guys. are the guys, yeah. and they and they all go deep. Logan Webb, seven and two thirds innings, a shutout ball with ten strikeouts, yep. zero walks, big performance. The Dodgers should be better than the Giants, but the Giants held on to first place from April twenty sixth on, kept the Dodgers at bay. They won the season series. They win the first game of the, of the playoffs. This is a series. I thought that it was going to be no contest. I thought the Dodgers win this this series three to one, sweep them maybe. No. No, is Stan on the line? Stan's on the line. All right, let's get to Stan, because uh, I want to get Stan's take on some things. Before we do that, Zach, real quick, because we didn't hit sounding off last week. You want to hit sounding off this week. Real quick, yeah. I, I think we, we should make a note of it. The season just ended. Uh, minor league season ended a little bit earlier, but I do want to talk about this again. And June Lee, is a, a writer for ESPN, he wrote another article about the, the harsh conditions that minor leaguers face, the just the, the insecurities that a lot of them have over you know food, housing, whatever it is. They don't really have like consistent 
food and housing and, and everything. And these guys, these minor leaguers who are working so incredibly hard and not getting paid really anything are facing all these these hardships. And it's really affecting a lot of them. You know, the, the, He's writing about it. If you read the article, I'd really recommend everyone goes and reads it. Um, the mental health of a lot of these players is just like spiraling. It's really out of control because they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know where they're going to stay. All these things are, are incredible problems that the organizations that own these minor league teams should really be working on fixing and there's there's now that at minor league baseball advocacy group i can't say that word very well but um they you know they're they're trying to help these these players have a little bit more um i guess peace of mind so you know i would recommend going to read this article we'll make make it real quick but minor leaguers organizations need to step in and treat their minor leaguers a little bit better it's just it's it's getting a little bit like out of hand when you talk about mental health well yeah and and we definitely saw i I saw a video of of somebody um Six minor leaguers mm-hmm. living in a two-bedroom apartment. Yep, it, 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 it's just awful. I mean, they, they're paying they're paying them fifteen grand a year right, tops. Right, uh, and this is with the hopes that they can make the majors. And but most of them don't. Right. If you're a twenty fifth round pick, um, you know from two thousand sixteen, you're still in the minor leagues. Like, ugh. I mean, it's some of these guys. I mean, it's just it's really really difficult to get there. Let's get to Stan. Stan, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Sorry to get you on so late. We uh, have a lot to cover today. Uh, real quick about these minor leaguers. Stan, why can't major league teams pay their minor leaguers more money uh, and give them better quality of life? What's the deal here? Uh, man, it's a, it's a topic I'm not ready to discuss right now. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll save it for another day. It's just one of those things where the, the, the quality of life needs to be better. The mental health needs, the mental health, how can you not uh, ha- struggle I with mean, things? It's, so, it's a topic that's come up uh, very suddenly, you know. In other words, of, of all the things we talk about in baseball, I did baseball talk for 30 years. The mental health of minor league players was never a, a, a topic, you know. So it's something that's come up now, and it uh, will need to be addressed. You know, I'm sure the issue is, I'm sure part of the issue is is where do you come up with the money for it? You know, Major League Baseball teams clearly think that they've, you know, they're they're chipping in enough, and that the minor league teams, the minor league owners, sort of just make money hand over fist. But uh, you know. They they really make their money when there's a transaction uh, that their ball club is sold. That's when they really make their biggest uh, capital gain. Yeah, and, uh, and look, the, the mental issues have come up for a lot of people recently. Simone Biles, uh, most recently in the Olympics, and she was talking about re- recently. She said she should have quit long before that, but she just kept going. Um, I can't remember the tennis player's name, but she had issues where she didn't even want to talk to the media. So look, I I understand that this is especially in today's age, people want to talk about this stuff, and people are realizing people are paying them more attention, and a lot of it has to do with everything's on camera these days. You can see everything. There's more access to the behind-the-scenes stuff than normally that we probably wouldn't have seen, Stan, when you were working thirty years. Well, in I just don't know how much how much camera access people are seeing minor league players. Who, right. Who's really seeing them? So, probably not. Know, I, yeah, I'm talking about that's... social media. These sure. these, yeah. the, these minor leaguers posting pictures of the cheese sandwich that they mm, got in yeah. spring training and their living quarters. And I know stuff exactly like what that. you mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think keep in mind. I mean, this is a topic you're just throwing at me. It, it's it's a topic when you think about. It. Look at the parental pressure on kids now. 
uh, vastly different than 30, 40 years ago. But, you know, uh, of course, there's a famous Jimmy Pearsall story that his father drove him so hard that he ended up having several nervous breakdowns. But if you think about it, in 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, people played ball. If they were good, they kept playing ball. Uh, now there's so much attached to my kid. If he can make it, he can get us out of our economic situation. There's a lot more pressure. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. A lot of pressure on these kids to make it, but, but yep. just coming from their family. I totally understand. Let's, and let's, not only just the economic of making it, it's, it's the parents invest so much time taking their kids and investing in the travel teams and all that. You know, kids know it's not easy uh, for their parents to make that money. And it just, you know, it can snowball very easily. Absolutely. It certainly can. I'm sure this is a topic that we'll revisit uh, in the coming months yeah. and even into next season. Especially before the, the uh, 2022 season starts, we'll have to revisit it and see if there have been you know any drastic changes. I, I think maybe, articles like this are really, maybe really in that, impactful. Maybe though. in that new CBA, there'll, yeah. there'll be yeah. something about it. Anyway, moving on to the Orioles stand real quick. They were able to earn the top draft pick in 2021 based on... It, look, they the Diamondbacks had a two-game lead with two games to go for the top pick. Right. They won their last two games. The Orioles lost their last two games. The Orioles based on their record in 2019 because both teams were 25 and 35 in 2020. Orioles were 31 games worse than the Diamondbacks in 2019. They've now earned the top pick in the draft in 2022. Does that move the needle for you, Stan? Do you think there's a big difference between picking first and picking second? I haven't really studied who the you know who the top players are going into next year's draft. Um, uh, I guess Rocker's back in there. I don't know whether his arm is. His arm issues will cause a problem, or his agent will cause a problem. But I haven't really, I haven't really looked into who the. I know, I know uh, Eric Green, the tight end. His son Elijah Green, uh, he was a former Raven tight end, and uh, yeah. Eric Green, yeah. his son's one of the best high school prospects. But I haven't really started to look at that. Oh, yeah, no, but uh, the the and the, this is going to change. It can be so fluid yeah. over, over the next six seven months. Based on the college season and based on who has a good year and, and who has a bad year, and you also have to factor in the way Michael Elias approaches us. Sometimes, exactly, he's not automatically going to take the best player. He's going to take the best ensemble of players, and and picking the number, the actual number one player, and paying him the top dollar may not be what he feels is best for the organization. It might not be, and as, uh, he's gone under slot each of the last two years. He loves college bats. If the best player is a high school bat, but he likes the college bats, he's probably going college bat. We Zach and I both agree it's going to be uh, shortstop Brooks Lee. Um, great name to play in Baltimore. It is. If mm-hmm. you if you get, if you get a chance, take a look at him. Great arm, great glove, great yeah. bat. Pro- probably the okay. best college bat in the draft. Another guy, by the way, Carter Young at Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, is a really impressive guy. And I, I I watched him when I was watching Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter this year. My focus was kind of on those guys. I was looking at Carter Young, and I'm going, this guy's pretty good. I mean, like he he's not his bats behind his glove for sure. He's a glove first guy. But I wouldn't even be surprised he makes his way into the top five conversation. I wouldn't I wouldn't take a guy who's glove first first overall. Oh, and. And that's probably not what will happen. But I'm so, just saying this possibility. Stan, the Orioles, yep. they let go. And look, this happens every year, right? It happens every offseason. They let go of coaches. But notably, they let go of manager, uh, Norfolk manager Gary Kendall, Norfolk pitching coach Kenny Steenstra, rookie-level Florida Coast League manager Alan Mills, and major league hitting coach Don Long. 
is this business as usual, or some fans think the Orioles are being cheap and letting go of guys when they get when they get to a tenure that means they're going to start getting paid more? What are your thoughts on this? I don't really think it has much to do with the money involved with the coaches. I think it has to do with you know philosophical fits. Uh, you know, uh, I know Gary Kendall is a fairly old school guy mm-hmm. uh, and may not have meshed really well with what the. Uh, what's stunning about it, though, is they thought he was good enough to be the head guy at the alternative site last year, uh, but apparently there was a breakdown in, in you know, um, maybe some of the analytics that they weren't taught. Maybe they don't think he's as good a teacher at that. Well, and it seems like his replacement is probably going to be Buck Britton. And Buck Britton is thought very highly of in this organization. He's led the Bowie Bay Sox to back-to-back um, championship series there in A. Uh, I think he's got a good inside track to be at Norfolk. Uh, do you think that there's any chance that the Orioles might, might be grooming Buck Britton to be the next guy to take the helm at the big league club when they're ready to contend? I don't think they're, I don't think they're thinking that far ahead in terms of in other words, if Brandon Hyde got fired next June, uh, I don't think Buck Britton's going to be the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. So I don't think he's necessarily... I think they think he's good. I think they feel that he meshes more with their overall philosophy. Much more interesting thing will be who do they replace Buck Britton with because, you know, a lot of the better prospects are really at A and double A. Yeah, uh, Stan, I have to ask you, you mentioned Buck Showalter, obviously, and he, he was in the booth for that White Sox ALDS game. Um, not, really, not a good, not a good, what he got them into talking about was uh, very strange. He kind know? of went after analytics for like the entire game, it seemed like. He really like it. Oh, I didn't, even, I didn't even hear that. He, I'm talking he, about the thing oh, that Jim Cott apologized oh, yeah, about. That was, that was not great. Um, but I, I, the analytics part of things, Buck was really like, every time they would talk about analytics, Buck would be like, no, no, basically kind of go against it. And, and it really came out, as, again, as that very old school manager. Do you think that hurt his chances? I, again, I know you didn't, you didn't really realize it, but do you think that might have hurt his chances for ever becoming manager in this, in this game again? I I don't know. It depends who who the fit is. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think Buck is. A, I think he's a terrific in-game manager. I think he's a terrific guy at changing the environment in your locker room. Um, but you have you know the people that are in charge of most teams are very much analytically inclined, and he's not going to be the guy that registers number one with most of the people, you know. But if the Yankees do decide perhaps to to, uh, part ways with um, Aaron Boone or the Mets part, well, the Mets have parted ways with Rojas, um, I think he's somebody that needs to be considered, you know. It's very rare that a manager gets more chances than Buck. Buck's done the Yankees, Mm, Arizona, Texas, and the Orioles. Mm. There aren't many managers. I think Dusty Baker may be the only one that gets five teams to manage. But Buck is still somewhat young enough to, to be considered. Yeah, and there's gonna be. An, I think there, I think there's definitely gonna be a job opening out in San Diego too, and yeah. it's it's a roster of players he's familiar with. Coach well, they have they fired uh, Tingler. Oh, they did. Yeah, I yeah. didn't, I didn't yeah. see that. I figured that was coming. I, mean, I just didn't see it. That was a weird yeah. hire in the first place. Yeah. That was a really weird hire. I mean, well, it was a, it was again uh, AJ Preller, new Tingler from. Uh, 
I'm sure Jay Stingler, like if he were here in Baltimore, we'd probably think he's a pretty good manager. You know, the, the expectations, um, I, to, I tell that story all the time about a friend of mine in the restaurant business uh, whose brother was also in the restaurant business, and, and they, not together, the husband and wife of one of the brothers, they bought a pizza place, and they put Gucci wallpaper up, and they had fantastic lighting and everything. And then they hired a two dollar and twenty five cent guy to make the pizza. You, yeah. you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes some, a lot of sometimes sense. Sometimes, if you if you got a three hundred uh, a two hundred million dollar payroll, you might want somebody to really has some experience managing successfully to be your manager. I 100% agree, and I honestly, I think he lost that clubhouse last year when he condemned Fernando Tatis for swinging at a 3-0 pitch for a grand slam when the team was already up something like 6-1. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think he, when he came out and condemned Tatis for that, I think that's when he lost the clubhouse. They, they, they would have been best served to get rid of him at that point. That roster was way too talented to, to finish below 500. To, a, the interesting to miss thing the playoffs, you talk B. about You talk about analytics versus old school. The big thing there is there's going to be some pressure if Bruce Bochy wants to come back and manage. There's going to be some pressure because he was very popular in San Diego. Took him to two postseason runs. He's 66 years old. He's now sat out two seasons. Might he be brought in by the San Diego Padres? I mean, he's a Hall of Fame manager eventually. Yeah, uh, they're going to have the, they're going to have their pick of the litter. It's a it's a, an intriguing job for anybody because of the talent that's on that roster for sure. Um, now, Stan, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Trey Mancini. Zach and I were just talking about him in the introduction to the show. Um, he's going to get about a, a race to about eight million dollars in arbitration this year. Uh, he's now thirty years old. He's coming off a down season where it was clear that he was exhausted at the end of the year, uh, which is to be expected. What is Trey Mancini's future in Baltimore? Does he have one? It's a it's a really uh, you know sort of a complex issue. You know, I wrote a piece about it back in May or June that I thought the Orioles should break away from the mold, and I didn't think he was a guy that was going to command anywhere near a Chris Davis like contract. Uh, nor has he accomplished as much as Chris had at that point in his career. But um, I thought he was somebody that you could sign for three or four years and get him a little bit under market value because of what he's gone through health-wise. Um, and I, I still feel that, but when I wrote that, he looked to be Trey Mancini. The Trey Mancini that I saw, and, and it wasn't just that he faded in the second half, he faded from July 2nd because I had the misfortune of having him on my fantasy baseball team. <laughs> he really produced very little for about a hundred games or maybe 90 games. Uh, he was just not the same player. I think he got on an adrenaline high for that uh, home run derby contest. And of course, there are historical anecdotes about uh, players that perform in the home run derby that kind of ruins them for a while. He just wasn't the same player second half of the season. So I think that probably ruined any chance of him getting a long-term contract. And I think, again, this season we'll see how he performs and what how he's feeling about what his future holds. 
Yeah, I, 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 it'll be an interesting. Zach said you think it's gonna be the most intriguing part of this off season, and I tend to agree with yeah. him. I'm very interested to see what the Orioles do with Trey Mancini. If they get him back to close to the player that he was before the colorectal cancer, that's a huge coup for this team uh, for that lineup going forward. Well, next they, year. they essentially had that player through the first 80 games yeah. of the year. Yeah. I mean, through if you look at his numbers, it was about July the second or third where he stopped being Trey Mancini, you know. And again, you can go into all the things where that's to be expected, but how does a team calculate is that he was tired because it was one season, you know, once you know just a 6 months removed from his treatment or is it something that he just won't have the energy, you know, because when you're talking about uh, investing significant dollars, you know, where Trey Mancini looked like he would be a 15, 14 or 15, 16 million dollar player per year. He now might be more like a nine million dollar player. You know, it's a huge, it's a huge difference. You know what you're what you're willing to invest. Yeah, and it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it plays out. And I'll stand real quick before yep. we let you go. I want yep. to talk about all the playoff series. We just ran out of time, and that's our fault. I apologize. Um, Dodgers, Giants. Dodgers clearly have a more talented roster, in my opinion, yet they lost the season series to the Giants. The Giants were in first place from April 26th on. The Dodgers just couldn't seem to catch them. And then you go into last night's game, and the Giants win game one behind a masterpiece by Logan Webb. Seven and two-thirds innings of shutout ball with ten strikeouts and no walks. They lose that game four to, four to nothing. Are the Giants good enough to hold the Dodgers off for this whole series? I thought it was going to be a no contest. I thought the Giants, the Dodgers would run away with the series. But it looks like we might have something on our hands here. Well, I just what basis would you have thought that they'd run away with this series? I, I totally agree with you. They're a deeper, you know, more, more accomplished roster. But they played 19 games during the regular season. Giants won 10. Dodgers won 9. So I certainly didn't agree with you that they just roll over them. I still think they can win the series of the Dodgers, but there's an immense amount of pressure on them in game two. No question about it. And one one other observation of that are the playoffs. It's just ironic that this that where the White Sox are right now is the exact reason Tony La Russa was deemed by the owner to be the right guy to take this team you know, further in the playoffs than Rich Renteria. And uh, I really have a hard time thinking that if Rich Renteria was still the manager, that he couldn't have won this division by 10 or 12 games like Tony did and be facing an 0-2 deficit like Tony is right now. Yeah. Uh, still, I know we've beat that drum a few times during the season, but I think it's just a, it was just a terrible hire. Yeah, being down 0-2 against the Astros, it's certain. But and again, Stan, that's that's the whole thing. That's where my thinking was with the Dodgers. That playoff pedigree comes into account. Um, you have now, um, what's what's the manager's name? And why am I losing? I know Gabe Kapler, who's managing yep. the Giants now, who doesn't have the same playoff pedigree they have when they won three World Series in five years. Uh, I was just thinking the Dodgers. They want to prove that 2020 wasn't a fluke with the shortened season. I thought they'd come out and be like, "This is the playoffs. Let's get in, in gear." Yeah. And they still could. That's what. But yeah. you know, that first game was. The, it was a clinic put on by the Giants. Uh, same thing with the Astros. They have that playoff pedigree. They have Dusty Baker at the helm. When you get into the playoffs, the Astros are a different team, and I guess that's why what I expected from the Dodgers. All right. 
All right, Stan, thanks for joining the program. We'll talk to you again All next right, week. All right, guys. Great talk week. to you soon. Bye. And that was Stan the Fan Charles joining us here for his weekly segment. Just want to remind you, Stan has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Gary caught up with Olympian Boyd Martin to discuss Maryland Five Star coming next weekend to Fairhill in Cecil County. Find it under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at PressBoxOnline.com. Coming up this Monday, you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross chat with the Orioles legend Ken Singleton after he announced his retirement as a broadcaster. The show will be on at a special time of 4 p.m., so don't miss it. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com and call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. Ravens have a game coming up on Monday night against the hated rival Colts. And they are a rival because they used to be here and they left in the middle of the night. And I just want to remind you, every seat is the best seat at M&T Bank Stadium. Don't miss a moment of Ravens football this season. Single game tickets are now available at BaltimoreRavens.com slash tickets. we got to get a break when we come back from Dodgers Radio and TV and new author Tim Neverett. That first sip. That first bite. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Hey, it's KZ. The Pressbox Fantasy Football Show is back, as always, on Thursdays. You can catch it at 1130. We're brought to you this year, CCBC and Glory Days Grill. You can catch the show two ways, facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com slash radio. The slash radio is if you want to listen. On Facebook is if you actually want to see my ugly face. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. DFS, daily lineups, keepers, all kinds of fun stuff. Please tune in, Pressbox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Glory Days Grill's popular Oktoberfest menu is back and it features their delicious chicken schnitzel, two chicken cutlets, hand-breaded in herb panko, and pan-fried until golden brown, served with mustard cream sauce, mashed potatoes, and roasted vegetables. Their menu also includes your favorites like the Oktoberfest Brewer's Platter, Brewer's Sausage Sandwich, Prussian Pretzel Rolls, Slam Dunk Pretzels, and Apple Cobbler. All of these meals pair well with their many Oktoberfest beers and Angry Orchard on drag. Dine on their patios or in their dining room, or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and pick up your favorites to take home. Glory Days Grill has been proud to serve the community for the last 25 years. Thank you, fans. 
If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashawn Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is Jake. K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Planet Kyle, two diaper dandy. He is Mr. Kyle Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports and listen to Pressboxonline.com slash radio. All right, welcome back to the batter. I had an issue with my headphones. They got stuck on the microphone there. My apologies. Uh, joining us now from the Dodgers Dodgers Radio and TV Networks, he is their play-by-play man and also an author of COVID Curveball. That's a book that he wrote about the uh, Dodgers World Series run during COVID in 2020. We have Tim Neverett on the program. Tim, how are you this morning? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for getting up so early. I know it's it's really early uh, out on the West Coast, so we we appreciate you joining us so early today. Um, Tim, Cardinals took the Dodgers down to the wire of that wild card game. Uh, Max Scherzer, four and a third innings pitch, three walks, did not have his control. The most three ball counts he's had in over a year uh, in that particular game. Took a Chris Taylor two-run walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth inning. How bad would it have been for this team had the Cardinals pulled out that victory? Uh, it would have been bad. <laughs> you know, a 106-win season, and you uh, you lose in a one-game playoff. That would be bad. And You know, that's uh, the way that they played down the stretch. I mean, since August 1st, they've had the best record in baseball, and uh, unfortunately the Giants have had the second-best record in baseball. So they haven't been able to really gain any ground. They end up losing the division by one game. Yeah, and you know if you go into that situation with the Cardinals and lose, and you're like, what was this all about? But um, you know they're not. They're they're in the division series. They're yeah, they're down a game, but it's only the first game, and a lot can happen uh, the rest of the way. They've got two games coming up at home, perhaps, but you know they've got to try to win tonight, try to split uh, on the road, and then come back home one-one if that's uh, what's in the script. Yeah, that was. I mean, that game yesterday by Logan Webb was an absolute masterpiece. He made it so that Walker Buehler was basically going to have to be perfect to uh, to win that game. And Buehler was very good. He was very good, but he wasn't perfect, right? And he gives up the home run to Posey. He gives up the home run to Bryant. Um, what did you see from that game? Is this how the Giants, if they're going to win this series, is that how they're going to win it? They're going to have to outpitch the Dodgers because I don't think they can outhit them. Yeah, they're going to have to outplay them in every aspect. And, you know, last night, Logan Webb pitched the game of his life. Um, you know, I know that uh, the, um, his slider gave them a lot of problems. Yeah. His slider was, was uh, vicious, I guess you'd say. Uh, and it made it so it made the plate look a lot wider. I know that you know, nobody wants to blame an umpire, but the Dodgers weren't happy with the strike zone last night either because Bueller didn't get the pitches on the corners um, that he wanted. But, you know, he makes a mistake, 3-0. I mean, um, 
and he hadn't he'd never given up a home run on a three zero count in his career. Uh, he throws a four seamer high. Posey, you know, is just a tad bit late on it, but he barreled it up and hit it to right field and out. And then he throws another four seamer up uh, right over the heart of the plate that Brian is ready for. And those are his two mistakes. And you know, if you make two mistakes against the Giants, they're going to capitalize, and they did. And you know, Webb was. Webb was fantastic all in all. The Dodgers didn't make enough adjustments. They they uh, they still went up there with the same approach against them, knowing that they were going to see a slider or a changeup. He got a lot of swings and misses on the changeup. And, um, you know, again, they didn't make enough adjustments, and so it's back to the drawing board tonight, and they'll see what happens. Another good matchup. You get a 20-game winner in uh, Julio Urias, and then you've got, you know, Kevin Gosman, who had a, who had a career year. But the way the Giants have gone – everybody's had a career year at the same time. And that's why they're winning the way they are. And that's what it takes a lot, a lot of times. Uh, you know, we've seen this with teams in the past where you've got everybody pretty much having a career year. That's why you have a surprising outcome like the Giants have had. You know, they're going to be tough to beat, but the Dodgers know they need to split up there. It's going to be tough to come home and win, you know, win two and then have to go to San Francisco and win one. So they may as well win this one tonight. Yeah, I, I think they have a good chance to win this one tonight. Kevin Gossman, yes, he had a career year, 287 ERA this season. Uh, however, his last 15 starts, he had a 442 ERA, which was kind of more what we were accustomed to when he was here in Baltimore. Um, with that being said, do you expect a better game because it's the playoffs, because it's a high-leverage situation out of Gossman? And if so, uh, how good do the Dodgers pitchers need to be? You don't have Clayton Kershaw. Scherzer wasn't great. Do you expect a bounce back from Scherzer in this series? you think Arias is going to go out and do what he did? I mean, 20-3 and this year, led the majors in victories. The Dodgers pitching staff is fantastic. The Giants was that much better. How good do they have to be to beat the Giants? Well, they've got to be good, and they don't have to be perfect, but they've got to be good. And Julio Urias, all season long, has been very good. Yeah. One thing about Julio is that he has been the benefactor of a lot of run support too. And it's every year one pitcher on the pitching staff has the lucky horseshoe in the locker, and it's been him this year, <laughs> where you know he's averaged you know over seven runs a game in run support. And it's just uncanny. Every time that, that he's on the mound, the Dodger hitters wake up and they get hits for him. And that's what I'm expecting tonight. I'm expecting to see them score some runs off of Kevin Gosman. I don't know if they're going to get a lot of them, but they'll get some because they're, you know, they're not going to get shut out two nights in a row. It's just the, the offense has been too strong all year. Right. And uh, I think the last time they were shut out was uh, when they were no hit by the Cubs. And then they went on a long winning streak right after that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Again, it's, tonight is the most important game, obviously, because you've got to come back to L.A. 1-1. If, if you come back down 0-2, that's going to be a, a problem. Do you think it would be Max Scherzer? Will it be Max Scherzer on the mound on Monday when they come back? Uh, is that what the, what the Dodgers are planning on doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're going, they're going with three pitchers. I mean, they'll have Tony Gonsolin uh, ready. Uh, there's been a little chatter about a bullpen game, but I doubt it only because it's just, I, I think the the stakes are too high at this point in Agreed. time and you can't risk that. But I would suspect that, that Scherzer would, would be on the mound on Monday. So Tim, Max Scherzer is 0 for 59 at the plate this year. Um, there is a considerable issue with pitchers hitting in, in baseball. And I don't really know where you stand on the whole DH versus versus pitcher situation, but how much do you think pitchers hitting in the playoffs affects 
how much these teams have a chance to, to beat each other? How much impact does it have? Well, I think you've got to play the game the way you play it during the regular season. And, you know, Max has had a terrible year at the plate. I just look at it like he's due, you know. <laughs> he's one, one at that closer <laughs> yeah. to getting a hit. But, um, you know, I, I spent, you know, a few years in the American League, too. And, uh, but, you know, through my time in the minor leagues coming up and in the, in the big leagues, it's primarily been in the National League. So I'm accustomed to this. And I know that there's a really good chance next year this is all going away. And there'll be a universal DH, you know, in both leagues. So, uh, you know, we got a taste of it last year. And, you know, it's just the way it is. It, it, you know, you, you can't, I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even think about it. It's because it's part of the game. Right. And if it changes next year and the game is what it is, turns into American League Baseball throughout uh, all of baseball, then that's what the game is. But uh, right now, they've got to do, you know, you've got to do your best. You've got to move runners along. You know, he's had a few sacrifice bunts. He's, he's moved runners along, but uh, he's had a few close calls, uh, having hits taken away from him, too. But it, it's, just, it's just the aspect of National League Baseball. It's not bad. It's good uh, if you're accustomed to it. If you're not accustomed to it, you're not going to like it. But uh, it, it puts a much larger responsibility on the number eight hitter in the batting order to get on base. You know, one thing you got to do is if there's two outs and you're the eight hitter, you got to get on base. Why? Because that means the pitcher is going to come up and you get past them for the next inning. Exactly. So that's kind of part of your strategy and your approach as a hitter. Um, and it's like I said, this has been the way it's been since the beginning of time. And, you know, we're still hanging on to that rule, but it's probably going away after this year. Are you somebody who thinks that that rule should stay or are you ready to see it go and have the universal DH? Uh, personally, I'd like to see it stay, but I understand the business of baseball. I understand more owners want it. I know the Players Union wants it. Um, and Major League Baseball is probably going to acquiesce during the collective bargaining uh, talks, uh, which I hope they both sides can agree on a lot of things so there's no delays in next year's season. Um, but, you know, frankly, I, I prefer it just because I've seen much more of it. And I remember, you know, when I was with the Pittsburgh Pirates for a lot of years and I went to the Boston Red Sox, uh, when you see it every day, you realize it's a different brand of baseball. Yeah. You know, because the eight hitter is just like anybody else, and nine hitter is just like anybody else. Um, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just a matter of what you like. It's it's a matter of what you get accustomed to. But, you know, the business of baseball is going to dictate whether there's a DH or not. Um, and when it comes down to it, it's still baseball. But my preference is, is the National League style. And while we're talking about Tim Neverett's preferences, let's go back a little bit to this wild card game and then the, and then the division series. Do you think that if you have a 106 win team and they're in the wild card, now th- that's why they put so much emphasis on winning the division. But do you think that they should be a best out of three wild card series? And do you think that's something that's going to be addressed in the new CBA? And then on top of that. Do you think that it should go back to the rule where you can't play a division opponent in the divisional round so that you don't have the two best teams in baseball playing off in the divisional round instead of the league championship series? Yeah, you know, I think – I know they're going to – they're probably going to take a look at how they align during the playoffs and, you know, maybe do, maybe look at something more like the NBA where, you know, if you're, you get rewarded from your record too. Um, but this is a – they might look at this as a one-off mm-hmm. also where these are the rules, you came a game out, and you have to play in a wild card situation. 
But getting back to the other thing about a three-game wild card, I'd love to see it. We saw it last year. Yeah, I you thought know, it was fantastic. Just, yeah, I liked it. I mean, you know, the Dodgers swept the uh, the Brewers 2-0, but, you know, after 100 and so, – actually, last year was 60 games, but after 162 games, you don't want one game determining it. I mean, you know, the other night uh, at Dodger Stadium – I mean, that's, that game could have gone either way. And both teams had great runs. You know, the Cardinals had 17 in a row, and they fought their way back in and put a stranglehold on that second wild-card spot. And I do like the wild-card spot, but I honestly think that you could do it in two days. The problem is is it puts more stress on your pitchers and your pitching staff for the remainder of the postseason if you have to have a three-game series in the wild-card. Now you're talking about spreading it out so that you have a fair – uh, you know, a fair chance when you get to the division series. Uh, I think you could do it in two days, but again, you'd need to expand your roster too yeah. to include more pitchers. You know, you could if you are the top wild card team. I think you could have uh, the two days at home, and you play a game, and then you play another game the next day. And if you need another one, you play a doubleheader. So you could do it all at the same place. You'd earn home field. Uh, you know, that's one theory, but. You know, they're going to hash it out. Uh, they're going to figure it all out. But I think that I'd, I would personally like a, uh, a three-game, best-of-three wild-card series myself. Yeah, I think that's what would be best for baseball. I loved it last year. I've been saying since the, since the wild-card game came into fruition uh, that it should be a three-game series. Now, look, you're starting the season at the end of March. You're ending it at the beginning of October. And the reason they did that is to get teams more off days during the season. And I totally understand that. Now, if you're worried about how long it's going to take, then maybe you start at the end of March and you end the weekend before the the first weekend in October. I don't know how how they would do that, how that will work, if teams would sign up for it. But there's got to be a solution to get the three-game series because you're absolutely right. Uh, you have as good a year as the team had. You get as hot as the Cardinals got, and then you only have one game in the playoffs and your season's over. I think there needs to be a little bit more to it than that. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, if, you can, if you can have a roster expansion to 28 in yeah. the month of September, you could keep that through the wild card round because you're going to need the extra arms probably. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's a great idea, too. And I'm sure if we're talking about it, they're certainly talking about it when it comes to the CBA. Uh, Max Scherzer, we talked about him uh, on the offensive side of things. Uh, Now, look, this was arguably his worst start with the Dodgers, and he still only gave up one run. Again, we mentioned it, four and a third innings pitch, three walks. Are you at all concerned, or do you think it's a blip on the radar? Having seen him enough in the past, uh, I think it's a blip. Um, it's an end of the season type thing too. I think some guys go through this in September mm-hmm. and in October. Um, but I, I have a sense that, you know, he's going to bounce back. I mean, uh, he, they, the Dodgers have not lost a game that he started and you're right. He didn't have his best stuff, but he was still able to pick his way around that lineup and hold him to a run on three hits. Right. So, you know, that's the sign of a great pitcher. And, you know, I remember in 2015, I watched him, uh, it was against the Pirates, throw a near-perfect game, and the only thing that broke it up was uh, a pinch hitter came up, stuck his elbow out, and got hit. Oh, I and remember that. It was two that. outs in the ninth. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then he got the next batter out for a no-hitter, uh, which he didn't feel good about. But, um, yeah, I-, I thought that, you know, he wasn't his best, but he's still who he is. I mean, you look in the back of his baseball card, and you've got to be ready for him every time you step into the box. So he's he's going to bounce back, 
and for a guy to give up one run on three hits, that's great. But, the, you know, the offense needs to get something going, too. Again, he was facing Adam Wainwright, who's having a resurgence, who was pitching some of his best baseball, too. So, you know, there are a lot of factors when it comes into how a guy does. You know, granted, he got a no decision, but he still kept that team in the ball game and, and got them an opportunity to win, which they finally did in the ninth. Yeah, no, and Max Scherzer, when they, when they took him out, I was actually surprised because I was saying, and as good as the Dodgers bullpen is, I was saying, you're not going to bring somebody in that's as good as Max Scherzer. Uh, and Max Scherzer is one of those guys that gets stronger as the game goes on. And that, he's proven that time and time again. I was a little surprised to see him come out, but you're absolutely right. It's Max Scherzer. And sometimes the control issues, it can just be your arm slot being off by a fraction of an inch, and that makes all the difference in the world. I fully expect him to bounce back. Now somebody else who could be bouncing back, Trey Turner. And it's weird to say that about him because he entered last night's game with a 23-game hitting streak, including the postseason. Goes 0-4 for 4 last night. But he's been fantastic all season, from the Nationals to the Dodgers. There was no drop-off after that trade. Now, what I'm interested to know, Tim, is what the Dodgers' plan is moving forward. Are they going to try and re-sign Corey Seager and then have it be Turner at, at second, Seager at short, and then Justin Turner at third base? Is Trey Turner their shortstop of the future, and they're going to let Corey Seager go in free agency? What is the Dodgers' plan moving forward? Well, that's a really good question, and I, I know that's going to be addressed, uh, you know, come November, December. But uh, as far as Turner's concerned, I've been asked a lot, you know, how does he like playing second base? With the t- amount of time that the Dodgers shift, he's pretty much playing shortstop anyway. Right. So, that's I mean, a good he's, point. Play, he's gets right-handed hitters. He's on the other side of the bag. I can't tell you how often. Now, last night there was a play where he cut in front of Seager on a ball that, that could have been a double play ball. It would have been awkward for him because he would have had to go to his left, go to back to second base mm-hmm. to get the force out. But Seager was right there to make the play. But because of his instincts, he went there, made a backhand play, made a strong throw to first, and got the out. Meantime, second base was left uncovered because of the shift, not because of Trey. But, um, you know, he's played probably, I'd say, a lot of shortstop, uh, even though he's positioned at second base. And he's adjusted very well. You know, I don't know if the Dodgers are going to re-sign Corey Seager or not. I don't, I don't know if the, if the conversations have been had, uh, what their thoughts are. Corey Seager is going to play somewhere, and he's going to make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. Whether it's L.A. or Philadelphia or New York or wherever, um, you know, that remains to be seen. I do expect the Phillies to spend a lot of money uh, this offseason, but... Will it be Corey Seager? Maybe they get there. Maybe they they go after his brother Kyle, who's probably not going back to Seattle. Um, so both Seagers, I think, will be on the move. But either way, we know that Trey Turner is going to be a Dodger for another year at least, and I think he is discovering uh, what it's like to play at Dodger Stadium, especially in the postseason, and why guys that come out here and play fall in love with us so quickly. Yeah, and that would be a, to to lose Corey Seager and replace him with Trey Turner, who's one of the most exciting players in the game. You're not having a drop off there, that's for sure. Tim, no, before I, I think I think Trey I think Trey should be the MVP this year. To be honest, I mean, you know, you're talking about you know Juan Soto, you're talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. I always think that if a, a guy has similar numbers but his team is winning, he's helping yeah. his team win, which makes him more valuable. That's why, like in the American League back in 2016. Mookie Betts finished a close second to Mike Trout. The, the uh, Red Sox won the division, while the Angels 
were dead last by a long way. And I was thinking, why is Mookie Betts not the MVP instead of Mike Trout? Now, no disrespect to Trout, he's a great player. But shouldn't your team winning have something to do with it also? And, and that's why I think that Trey Turner is the MVP. He's a batting champion. He's got the stolen base crown. He's got more total bases. He's got more hits than anybody. And his team wins. So I, I, I'm on the Trey, Trey Turner train right now as far as that's concerned. Oh, he is certainly deserving. I'm glad you brought that up because my co-host here, Zach, is a huge Juan Soto guy. He is the best player in baseball. He, he probably there is. There is no question. And he thinks that Juan Soto should be the MVP, I but do. his team finished in last place. Mm-hmm. And I'm of, I'm of the same ilk as you, Tim, where I think that if the numbers are comparable – but your team is winning and in the playoffs and the other guy's team is in last place, the guy who got his team to the playoffs should be the MVP. So I agree with you. If it's Trey Turner, I have no gripes with that whatsoever. Yeah, and Soto's a good guy. He was out here the other night sitting behind home plate with a Trey Turner Nationals jersey on. Yeah, yeah we yeah. saw that. We saw that. With, with, with Scott Boris, which should make a lot yeah. of Nats fans nervous. Well, Scott Boris sits there anyway. That, that's his regular seat. Oh, does he really? But, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he's there every day. I oh, mean, wow. every day. Okay. He's we see him. He gets in before the fans. He's he's holding court with players. It's sort of an extension of his office. I don't know if people realize that or not. <laughs> Did not know but that. Anyway, yeah, Scott's there every day. Yeah. Anyway, um, but but I thought it was funny when they showed Soto on the big screen with a Nationals jersey on. The fa- like you know, fifty two thousand fans are booing him, and then he turned around and showed the, the Turner number seven jersey, and everybody <laughs> had a one eighty and started cheering him wildly. So. Um, it was fun to have him there, but he's a great player. He's a great young player, and I think he's one of the best players in baseball. The MVP goes, I think, should go to somebody not only who has great numbers but does great things and helps his team do great things. That's what makes them the most valuable, in my opinion. Uh, everybody doesn't share that. Uh, you know, there's some people who vote who think oh, it's all about individual numbers, and they look at the numbers and they don't care what happens with the team. I think that you have to be a winning player, also. And, you know, Soto, he's been a winner in the past. This year, the Nats, they gave up. They waved the white flag. And, um, you know, that's not Soto's fault. But at the same time, Trey Turner never stopped playing hard. And then when he got to the Dodgers, he kept playing hard. And, and, uh, you know, for a guy who had to change teams and change positions, keep that in mind, too, when you factor in your vote. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I, I I agree with you. I think Trey Turner is just as deserving as anybody else. I still think it probably goes to Bryce Harper, but I think Trey Turner is more than deserving. Before we let you go, Tim, uh, we last spoke right around this time last year, and in that time span, you have written a book called COVID Co- Curveball, uh, and it's about the Dodgers' um, run to the World Series last year during the pandemic. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your book and where they can find it? Um, I, it's, it's, it's available, uh, everywhere books are sold. Amazon is the best place. I call that one-stop shopping because at Amazon, you can get the, uh, the hardcover, the Kindle version or the audio book. Uh, the audio book is also available on audible.com. Um, but it's, it's about the season itself and how weird it was, how different it was, uh, during a pandemic, the sacrifices that had to be made by everybody just to be able to put on a baseball game and, and have, a game on television or radio for people to enjoy and have a distraction at a time when our country needed one the most. And, um, you know, what the Dodgers did, how they kept everybody safe, what happened, you know, a lot of inside stories about what happened just in order to get a broadcast on the problems, (laughs) the successes, uh, you know, the success on the field, the problems on the field, you know, uh, and a lot of other side stories that have never been told before. So, 
it, it's uh, it's chronicled in a in a day to day fashion. I wrote it in real time every day. I wrote so that by the time the World Series had ended, the manuscript was finished a week later, and um, and I went to publishing, and finally it was ready by the All Star Game this year. And they pumped it out quick, and it uh, hit the shelves on August thirty first, and we are. Um, we're seeing a lot of a lot of activity that's been positive toward the book and toward a lot of the stories that are in there. A lot of people now during the baseball playoffs are like, "Yeah, that was a great run. Let's relive that." And you know, you can do that with the book. Yeah. So, no, you know, it, the, the problem is we're still seeing effects from COVID this year. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, which we didn't think we'd see, but you know, we, we're still not traveling as broadcasters. We. Uh, you know, I, like I can't have book signings at bookstores because of COVID. So we we offer the book on social media, on Twitter, and on uh, Instagram. If people want signed copies, we offer them that way. But it's just there's still some effects lingering from COVID from last year. Oh, well, it, it certainly is. I think we're going to be feeling the effects of COVID for still quite a while to come. Uh, certainly seems like an interesting read a book. I'm going to have to check check out. Tim, thank you so much for joining our program. Always great to talk to you. And we'll talk to you again hopefully soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it very much. All right. Good luck to you. See you. That was Tim Neverett, Dodgers radio and TV play-by-play man, joining us for the program. Always great to talk with him. He always has a lot to say and really uh, knowledgeable baseball guy. And he's one of those guys, he he was with the Pirates when they were good. Yeah. Then he moves to the Red Sox. They win a World Series. Then he moves to the Dodgers, and they win a World Series. He's got the magic touch. I said yeah. last year. The Orioles need to hire this guy. Yeah, they need Masson needs to hire this guy to write there alongside Rockabaco so the Orioles can get back to World Series. I'm just listening to his voice, you know, during this during this interview, and it's just it has that like classic announcer voice to it. It's just it's an amazing voice. His, his voice is fantastic, but really really knowledgeable. I'll have to read that book too. I'd be very interested in reading Cova Curveball. I I think Tim Neverett is the Juan Soto of uh, the right to world. To, to <laughs> yeah, he's he's really good. I and every time I hear a Dodgers broadcast, I'm like, yeah, he's he's really really good. Yeah, so. Uh, but the Orioles, you know, they're lucky to have Kevin Brown. I hope I hope he goes full time next year. I really do. Uh, uh, we talked to Kevin Brown. Um, I, I'm not sure if you were the host, if you were my producer or uh, co-host yet. I don't know. Last year we talked to him, and he does a lot of. I don't think he wants to go full time. He works for ESPN. As he well, does yes. a lot of stuff for ESPN and for college sports and stuff like that. And I, I don't think he wants to go full time. Fair enough. I said uh, Tim never could be writing along because he wrote the book. Um, but he, yeah. he he is a play-by-play broadcaster. I love all the Orioles broadcasters, yeah. but maybe there'd be, there'd be a spot for him in the future. We'll see. Let's hope. <coughs> Excuse me. I uh, just want to remind you the Tyus Bowser Show is headed your way this season. Join the Baltimore linebacker and his special guest teammates at various locations around town with your chance to get pictures and autographs and hear everything that needs to be said before and after games. If you can't make it out, you can watch the shows live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by True Strong's True Strong Services, Great Eights Memorabilia, and PressBox. Find out more at PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser or at Great Eight smemorabilia.com the next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday October 19th at Twain's Tavern in Pasadena and there's no other short ones so we're just going to get a br- oh let me so, do the, let me do the RAV4 tell me a RAV4 yeah. make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas only models a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today just channel my inner Kyle as usual uh, we're going to get a break when we come back the payoff pitch and Orioles banter
Orioles banter. Oh, I was gonna do it, but I, I, I let you do it because yeah, you, you, it's, you stole it's, my you stole it's my your thunder. Orioles banter. I was, it's your I was, thing. It's your I was thing. prepared to it take us thing. into the break, and <laughs> you just you just jumped. I'm the line so sorry. I'm so it. sorry. But we will be back in about five. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out PressboxOnline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Taz Bowser show. The next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday, October 19th at Twain's Tavern in Pasadena. It's brought to you by Pressbox. Grade 8's memorabilia, and true strong services. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour our rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Glory Days Grill's popular Oktoberfest menu is back and it features their delicious chicken schnitzel, two chicken cutlets, hand-breaded in herb panko and pan-fried until golden brown, served with mustard cream sauce, mashed potatoes, and roasted vegetables. Their menu also includes your favorites like the Oktoberfest Brewer's Platter, Brewer's Sausage Sandwich, Prussian pretzel rolls, slam dunk pretzels, and apple cobbler. All of these meals pair well with their many Oktoberfest beers and Angry Orchard on draft. Dine on their patios or in their dining room, or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and pick up your favorites to take home. Glory Days Grill has been proud to serve the community for the last 25 years. Thank you, fans. That first sip. <sighs> that first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. We are firmly into our number two here, and it's time now for the payoff pitch around the league. Firmly into our number two. Wait, wait. Into our number two. Oh, I think you said our number two. I was like, what? It doesn't no, make any our, sense. Like, like, our, I got it. Not, I got not, it. Not I got ours, it. Like our, the word, like no, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Our number. It made two. sense now. I just yeah. heard that a little weird. 
Anyway, the payoff pitch around the league. Tied 4-4 after six. The Astros, thanks to a two-run homer from Kyle Tucker, scored five runs in the seventh inning, and the bullpen tossed four and two-thirds shutout innings to type topple the White Sox 9-4 and take a commanding 2-0 series lead as the teams head to Chicago for Game 3. Corbin Burns struck out six over six shutout innings, and Rowdy Telez hit a two-run homer in the seventh to break a scoreless tie and lead the Brewers over the Braves 2-1 to to give Milwaukee a 1-0 lead in the best-of-five series. The Red Sox hit five home runs, and J.D. Martinez collected four hits and three RBIs, while Kike Hernandez collected five hits yeah. and three RBIs in his re- uh, as Boston walloped Tampa Bay 14-6 to tie the series at one game apiece. Logan Webb struck out 10 and walked none over seven and two-thirds shutout innings, while Buster Posey, Chris Bryant, and Brandon Crawford each homeward to provide all the offense the Giants would need as San Francisco took a 1-0 series lead with a 4-0 victory over the Dodgers. What do we have on tap today? Only two games today, right? Yeah, two games. I woke up really, I usually wake up really early on, on Saturday mornings to write this up, um, and then I realized, oh, there's only two games. I thought there would have at least been like four. But anyway, um, at 5 p.m., the NL East champion Braves and their starter Max Free will take on the NL Central champion Brewers and Brandon Woodruff. The Braves will look to even this series 1-1. At 9 p.m., the NL West champion Giants play the wild card winning Dodgers and look to blank them for a second straight night. 20-game winner Julio Arias takes on former Oriole and Cy Young candidate Kevin Gausman, who you know floundered a little bit over his last 15 starts or so there, but overall a very good year for him. 2.81 ERA is always, I mean, that's incredibly successful for a guy like Kevin Gausman. So for anybody, I'm excited to watch Kevin Gausman pitch. I really hope I'm able to see. I don't get to watch anybody pitch because I have to be at work. Mm, okay. Uh, well, no, they pitch it. They play it. Nine. Yeah, I probably won't be out of work till like eleven. Gotcha. But by nine o'clock, I'll be doing side work. I can just put the game on and watch, and watch it while I'm doing that. But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see what happens. I cannot believe Julio Reyes, uh, twenty and three. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. I Who don't does know. That? I don't know. The Dodgers are just a pitching factory, and they're not ever going to change that. Like it's yeah. it's it's incredible what who they produce and how they do it. And it's and Arias, if you remember, I he came up his his first couple starts in, in I, I want to say 2018. I could be wrong on that, but whatever his rookie year was, he looked kind of pedestrian. Like especially when he first came up, I know he was a pretty big prospect and everything, but he didn't look like a great pitcher. He looked like an okay pitcher, and he's transformed himself into an ace. 20 games. 20 games. Um, now, he, they did score over seven runs a game for him, as Tim never alluded still to. Still, though, like, I mean, he pitched great. I mean, you, you still have to pitch well to win 20 games. I mean, even if they even if they do score so many games, and it just adds to that incredible, I mean, score so many runs, but it just adds to that incredible pitching staff they have there. It, it's incredible. If only Clayton Kershaw could stay healthy, that would be helpful for them. Yeah, well, I mean, Clayton Kershaw, he's already put together a Hall of Fame career. Yes, and definitely. The older you get, as much torque as, put, as is put on your body, making yep. all those starts, um... Yeah, it'd be nice, but it's also nice that they have a Walker Bueller and a Tony Gonsolin and Man. Max Scherzer and a <laughs> Julio Arias and a David Price if you need him to fall back on. And, and Trevor Mays out for the year. I think he had Tommy John surgery, yeah. right? He's probably out for most of next year, too. But, I mean, they're not hurting for pitching. I don't feel no. sorry for them no. because they still have guys who would – they still have five guys that would be aces on any other team yeah. that they played on. I have zero thim- uh, sympathy, sympathy for uh, – sympathy. Um, I have zero sympathy for the Dodgers if they lose. Um, Tim Never, it's a great guy, so I'll have a little sympathy for him. But, look, I mean, honestly, this team is a powerhouse, and if they, they, they really shouldn't lose. Like, they should win every year with the kind of team they put out on the field. The As should spend. the Yankees. Because, the, you know, when you spend that kind of payroll and you have that money, you, you should be winning. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree, and that's why I think Boone could be uh, on yeah. the outside looking in. 
after this offseason. But I'm more inclined to think the more I think about it, I really do believe that Boone's going to be back and that they're going to try and pad that roster. They're going to sign one of the top five shortstops, probably Trevor Story. We already talked about this, but this is just one of those things where every year, every top free agent is linked to the Yankees. They'll probably link all five shortstops (laughs) to the Yankees and say they're going to find a way to play these guys every day. Um, But what do they really need? They have Garrett Cole, and then who pitches after Garrett Cole? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, and you can't. Be, they're probably going to say, oh, Luis Severino. And I'm going to tell you, he's probably not going to pitch again because Luis Severino is injured all of the time. Did he even pitch this year? I don't believe he pitched this year, no. Yeah, he, no. I think he was. I think he, he pitched I, in the minors. Yeah, he made some rehab starts, I think. I don't know. Let me check on that. I, I'm not sure if he ever got a start. If he did, it probably wasn't successful because I didn't hear about it. But right. uh, look, here's one thing I heard about the Yankees that I want to run by you. I want to see your opinion on this. Someone this you know suggested because there are a lot of people that are very upset with uh, with Brian Cashman. They think that Brian Cashman is maybe a little old school and that he he just hasn't done enough to get this this Yankee team back in the World Series since two thousand nine. Um, and so, by the way, uh, four games pitched, but no starts for Severino this year. I just okay. want to make a note. Uh, and he had a zero ERA, so there's that. Is he on the? He's, they're out of the postseason. Was he on the postseason roster? Uh, I'll check that in a second. But but to finish my thought about uh, about Brian Cashman, someone suggested they hire a uh, a GM under Brian Cashman and move Cashman up to basically the highest level in the organization, the you know the president level, and have him handle more of like the day to day stuff, and then have a GM below him that kind of brings a little new life in the Yankees. Would do you think Brian Cashman ever well, consent Se- to that? Luis Severino pitched in the wild card. Game. Did he actually? Well, yeah, I, inning, I didn't even know. Inning in a third, I hit. A walk, a strikeout, and a run allowed. Well, there you go. So <laughs> apparently, we didn't even notice Luis Severino came back. That, that game was was over so quickly that there was just he hadn't played a full season since 2018. So it just, I just really never even noticed. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. And they don't have names on the back of the jersey. So no, if you're yeah. watching it casually, like I was while I was Me doing too. notes for the show. Um, it's one of those things where you you don't even notice. You just see a number on a guy's back. Right. But the point is about Severino is you can't expect him to come back and be a 19-game winner like he was in 2018 with a, yeah. with a 3-3-90 ERA. It's just not going to happen. That's not realistic. It's like expecting Corey Kluber to bounce back to being that two-time exactly. award winner coming off injuries the last two years. Which the Yankees somehow expected, <laughs> which was you know, quite odd. And guess what? He was okay. You know, Corey Kluber was okay, but again, it, it wasn't enough for the Yankees, and it's never enough for the Yankees. They just never build that team perfectly enough. So if they do build in a GM position under Cashman, move him up to the highest level in the organization... Maybe it wouldn't be the uh, the worst thing in the world. I don't know. I don't. I I don't know why you have to keep Cashman at all. People lose their yeah. jobs all the time. Now I'm not saying he should lose his job. I think the expectations are ridiculous up in New York. But I mean, it is a problem for the Yankees. Not for me, but it's a problem for the <laughs> yeah. Yankees and, the, and their fans that they haven't even been to a World Series yeah. since 2009. They went a whole decade without going to a World Series um, with, with payroll that's through the roof. Right. And and who are they paying now? Right, I mean, they're, right? uh, they're going to re-sign Rizzo, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, they could probably get Luke Voigt for cheaper. Yeah, um, You're going to have Stanton, you're going to have Judge, you're going to have Urshela, and you're going to have LeMahieu, right? Uh, who's playing left field? I don't know. Who's playing center field? Aaron Judge in center field, you can't do that. Well, I mean, the, the Aaron Hicks contract that they have him on is just so wildly expensive. Aaron Hicks is making, if I pull this up, um, I, it was it was a long contract. I believe a seven-year extension they signed Aaron Hicks to. So, it makes I mean, no sense. It made no sense in the first place. So how can you not play him, right? Like, he has to be that guy in center field. Jacoby Ellsbury yeah. Was, yeah. was paid to not play. Aaron, Basically, so Aaron Hicks signed a seven-year 
$70 million contract with the Yankees, which ends in 2026. So he will be a free agent in 2027. Yeah. That's not good. Not good at all. Yeah, no. Uh, this was supposed to be Orioles banter, and we're not talking about them at all, but that's okay. Just it, it's, it's, it's the playoffs. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, we're going to have a whole a whole offseason to talk about the Orioles, so don't you worry about that. Um, look, the Yankees signed Carl Pavano to that huge deal. I think he started like four games for them. <laughs> but because of the Yankees, because they have an endless supply of money, they are able to eat contracts like that, to yep. to pay them and not play the guys. Uh, so I don't think that it precludes them at all from signing a center fielder, trading for a center fielder, right. uh, getting somebody in there that can play uh, that's not going to be injured. Because your biggest problem, A, Aaron Hicks strikes out a ton. He does, and he's and, not good. And, and he doesn't hit very well. He's a great fielder, but he's never on the field. Right. He's hurt all the time. Uh, I think the Yankees have a lot of holes. I think you're going to see them be more active this offseason than we're than we've seen them be in quite a while. They always make one signing, right? It's always one guy. Two years ago it was Garrett Cole. Last year it was DJ Lemayhew. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're go- you know they're going to go get a shortstop. What else are they going to do? They have to. They can't just let that be their only move. They can't. They got to go get a starting pitcher. They got probably got to get two. They Zach Britton. I, I think this was the last year of his deal. And he had Tommy John surgery, so yeah. he's not in your future, uh, in your future plans. And Aroldis Chapman, he's still good, but he's not great. Making not a lot of money too. Making a <laughs> lot of making a lot of money to pitch to a near four ERA yeah. and be the guy standing on the mound while teams walking you off in the playoffs, which has happened, which happened two years in a row. Yeah, uh, b- before this year. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not crying for him. I'm not losing any sleep over it. But the Yankees, I think, are going to be really active because I think that if I know the issues that they have, and I'm an outsider who's an Orioles fan, they definitely know the issues that they have. I think the Yankees have to step back and say, what are we doing wrong? that's not making us a contender. And then you look at the Rays, and then you look at a lot of these other teams, even the Cardinals are a good example, of not sinking these giant you know, $300 million contracts or even a $70 million contract with Aaron Hicks. These, these you know, mega deals with seven, eight years, and you say, maybe that's what we're doing wrong. You know, If the Yankees take that step back and they realize what the problem is and they can pinpoint that, which to me is max contracts that you know don't, end up working out because you paid a guy like Aaron Hicks seven years, $70 million. If you take a step back and you look at that and you realize what your problem is, maybe they can fix it. You need to look for a little more value. Try to maximize value instead of maximize payroll. That would be my advice for the Yankees. I just don't know how they ever looked at Aaron Hicks and said, this is the guy. I, I don't know either. I mean, he, he was he never one, that good. He had one solid half a season and they give him this huge contract and you're like, what are you thinking? And then he yeah. had, he's barely been on the field since. Uh, the one play I remember him making is that diving overhead catch to rob the Twins and in a wild game yeah. a couple years ago. And that was like the one thing I remember him doing. I think he got hurt shortly thereafter. Uh, look, I just want to remind you, every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Press Box's Glenn Clark Radio. If you're just tuning in, I will be taking over for Kyle for good starting Monday, October 18th. So then I'll be bringing my pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Press Box's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com. 
pressbox.com slash pressboxsports. Listen to pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with ESPN's Lewis Riddick, former NFL coaches Chuck Pagano, Mike Tyson, Mike Nolan, and play-by-play legend Kevin Harlan. Find those interviews and more today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at pressboxonline.com. If you can't get enough of Glenn, once again, this season, Press Box's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach-speaking fluff of your typical show? Then tune in to Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined post-game by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalas, and more. KZ joins Glenn Monday night after the Baltimore-Indianapolis matchup. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. PressBox is Project Game Day. Every game day presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. So, uh, oh, you're you're about no, to do no, another. No, no, go ahead. Go okay, ahead. I, I was just gonna make another few notes on the Yankees. I was I was looking up some payroll here. Um, the Rays, seventy million dollar payroll. The Yankees, two hundred and three million. Look who won the division. Look who is in the ALDS right now. Um, look, you know, this is what the Rays do. They maximize value and they build up the farm system. Two things the Yankees do not do at all. The Yankees spend a lot of money on the top-tier free agents, and then they forget to build the farm system. And that and re, re, reinforcements don't come throughout the year because they have nothing in that farm system. You know, you sure you have guys like Jason Dominguez, who by the way did not play that well for you know where he's ranked in the top 100 this year. But of course you have guys like Didi Garcia. He's fine. But they have no, relatively no depth in this farm system. No reinforcements that can come up and give you a really good start, you know, here and there. So maximizing value and maximizing your farm system—that's what they should be doing instead of maximizing payroll. That's how the Yankees get back to the World Series, in my eyes. Yeah, they've they've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, in their farm system, that's that's for sure. Um, we got to get Arrestus Estrade on the line here in just a minute, Zach. I don't think you have his number. I do actually. I oh, do. You do. I do. You, you have his number. Okay. I do. Uh, <coughs> I'm not a fan of what the Rays do to get their teams to be good. You at say you're not a fan. I'm not a fan. Okay, I'm not a. Fan. I, I don't want. It the, works. <laughs> to be fair, I don't want. Yeah, it, it works while you alienate a fan base because who doesn't want to turn out because they don't yeah. have players they, that they can get attached to. Um, you you get all these great players and then you trade them away and look, you keep funneling talent through the system because you're trading all these players away. I get that. As a fan, I hate that. Like I, I know that winning solves everything, mm-hmm. but for me, I want to watch the Orioles be good and be able to watch Adley Rutschman be the centerpiece of that team for 10 years. So, you know, Sorry, go ahead. I, I want to watch guys like Ryan Mountcastle spend their whole career in Baltimore and become all-stars and potential Hall of Famers uh, in Baltimore. I don't want to see them have four good years here and then get traded before we have to pay them any money. That's, not, that's, that's college sports. I watch professional sports because they're professional sports. I don't want to watch a college atmosphere in professional sports. Maybe that's just me. In my opinion, I think what the Orioles will do when they're competitive is going to be very similar to the Rays, but also not quite as extreme. I do think that the guy like Adley Rushman might stick around for 10 years and that they might sign him to an extension, but I also do not think, I do not think, and this is like, I'm almost very confident in this, that the Orioles are never going to sign guys to seven-year deals, uh, six-year deals, five-year deals. I think they're going to sign a lot of three- or four-year deals because that's what, how the Astros operated. The Astros, you know, before they won the World Series in 2017, the longest contract they ever signed was Josh Reddick, four years, around $50 million. Um, Josh Reddick worked out pretty well for them. He was a good value piece. Short-term contracts, you know, basically four years or less with, with you know, under 
60 million dollars or so is how i think the orioles will operate didn't they just sign lance mccullough to a five or six well no I, deal I was talking about, i said before 2017 though oh, oh i was okay. talking about when they won the world series gotcha, gotcha. yeah uh, they've changed philosophy just, now that jim, uh, that jim crane's thing yeah I, I just don't think that you can operate in or a click, in, sorry. In, in in a system where you're not signing your players you're not keeping your best players and i think that Fair. you know especially in a town like baltimore where we watch Brooks Robinson and Cal Ripken and Jim Palmer play their entire careers here in Baltimore. Uh, this is a town that lo- that wants to hang on to their players, and I feel like you that's something that you have to do if you want to keep your fan base tuned in. And look, we're going to have Arrestes Estrade on the line here in a matter of moments uh, from the Rays, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about this. I'm going to ask him if he thinks that trading away the best players is a reason why they can't get more than 27,000 people to show up for a playoff game. Um you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I just, for me, I'd rather get attached to a player like like Adam Jones or Nick Markakis or even Brian Roberts, even though that contract didn't work out. Um, I'd rather get attached to a player and watch them succeed with the Orioles. But again, maybe that's me. Having a little bit of trouble getting arrested to Estrade on the line here. If if you're just, so we were supposed to have Sean McAdam from the Red Sox on the line uh, today. And then he, literally on my way to the studio today, he sent me a text message. His flight got delayed, and he's literally mid-flight as we speak, so he's unable to join the program. I reached out to Arrestus. He said that he would no problem jump on the program, but he's out running errands. I know that last night, for example, when I was at work, I was supposed to turn over some shirts to my former employer. She showed up. I expected her to come inside. She waited in the parking lot, and we just couldn't get it together. I wasn't able to check my phone for like four hours. Hopefully that's not the case with Arrestus. If it is, we'll just talk about the Rays and extend the Orioles banter, maybe actually talk about the Orioles here. Um, Zach, if he doesn't answer after this, um, we'll just we'll just stop trying. Maybe he calls back. Maybe he returns a text message, and we get him on towards the end of the hour. Um, otherwise, Tampa Bay Rays won 100 games this year, franchise record for victories. This season, we were unable to get Arrestus on the line. Um, we'll try again, maybe, or maybe he'll text me back. I don't know. We'll see. Um, 100, 100 win season for Tampa Bay this year. Got off to a rousing start the other night with a 5 0 victory over the Red Sox. You look at that, and then you saw JD Martinez was coming back, but he's been injured for quite a while now. Mm. Uh, Rafael Devers seemed to hurt his, arm, his right arm in the wild card game, and then you saw him wincing on his swings, and they were one-handed swings, basically, in that first game against the the Rays. And you're thinking, okay, Red Sox had a nice year. They were never really out of a playoff position. They had a talented team. But now it's catching up to them. Now this this is where the big boys play, and maybe they're not quite there yet. And then they come out last night, and they take the Rays down 14-6. to They have five home runs. Devers, homers. Uh, J.D. Martinez in return a lot of four hits, including a home run three RBS. Kike Hernandez, who... He's a, he's a good player. He's a scrappy player. He's not a great player. Hits about 250, 230 to 250 every year. And then he gets to the playoffs and tears the cover off. Playoff hero. He's always the playoff right? hero. Five for six last night. Three RBIs. Ridiculous. And the, the way the game started, Chris Sale only throws one inning, gives up five home runs. I mean five home runs. Five runs, including a grand slam in the first inning. The Red Sox are down five to one mm. after the first inning. And you're like... Man, they are just outclassed and overmatched. Yeah. Not the case. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I was just looking at the Red Sox payroll, by the way, to compare it to the Yankees and the Rays. Um, like I said before, Rays sit at $70 million. Red Sox sit at $184 million, which is a lot more than I thought it was. But I guess you have, you know, some bigger players, obviously, like J.D. Martinez, you know, under contract. 
But I, I was at the beginning of the year, I, I talked about this when we talked about our AL East predictions. I remember when we, we talked about this, and you were very high on the Red Sox. I was not at all. I thought the Red Sox were going to win 70 games. They you know completely proved me wrong. And I, I still look at this team and I go, I don't know how they're going to take down the Rays. I just don't think the pitching is going to be good enough. You know, when when it all you know comes down to it, if they get to a game seven, whatever happens, um, I I just don't see them being good enough to really win this series. And I think that you know, you look at what Chris Sale did last night, and they overcame that. You know, five earned runs, they overcame it. I just still don't believe that they're going to to win this series. I just don't know how anybody looked at this team and thought they were going to be bad. I did. I, I really did. I didn't think the pitching was going to be there. Well, and I, I, I looked at it and I, because, okay, Nathan Navaldi's good. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a good pitcher. Very. Right? Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, he didn't pitch last year. Chris Sale didn't pitch last year. They they tanked that season after the first two weeks. Yeah. They, they, they intentionally lost, basically, because they could have gone out and got him pitching and with that lineup in a better ball club, but they decided not to. They got a top four pick out of it, and now they're back. And Eduardo Rodriguez was back from day one. Avaldi is back. They get Tanner Houck. They signed Garrett Richards. They added to their bullpen uh, in the offseason. And they know that Chris Sale is coming back to give them a boost in the second half of the season to make that playoff run. With that lineup and the pitching getting back, some some pieces that were mi- that were missing the year before, and also adding to that staff, I just don't know how anybody looked at this team and thought 70 wins. The, I, 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 the I, offense I, alone is good enough for them to have been a 500 ball club. I just still and, and I, I doubted the pitching then, and I just doubt the pitching now in this series. I just don't think they're going to be able to win this series because of the pitching. Well, That's yeah, just they, my they, opinion. They, they don't have the pitching that the Rays do, right? But the Rays and that glorious pitching staff gave up five home runs and 14 runs to this team. Fair and, enough. And, and yeah. again, this lineup is scary good. It is, no it's, doubt, it, no doubt. And when. When a middling player like Kike Hernandez goes five for six, maybe the Red Sox are a team of destiny. Do I think they are? No. I don't think they're winning the World Series this year. Um, I thought the White Sox were going to the World Series, but they're in a big hole to the Astros. Uh, Can we talk about the Astros for a second? Because the defense has been impeccable. Yeah. It has been unbelievable. The smoothness of these some of these plays by Altuve, Correa, even in, you know with, with Kyle Tucker's made some nice plays. This this team has really surprised me. I did not take the Astros that seriously. I thought they'd be, you know, they, okay, they made the ALDS. I didn't see them going much farther than that. They are destroying the White Sox. This doesn't even look like a competition right now. The Astros were 29-31 and 31 last year, mm-hmm. and they made the playoffs. Yep. Right? They make the playoffs. Didn't they win their division? I think they did. It was a yeah, really, really awful they, division. They, yeah. There's no way 29 and 31 is a wild card team. So they, they right. won the AL West last year, yeah. two games under 500. And then they go to Game 7 of the ALCS, mm-hmm. right? Dusty Baker as their manager, been to a couple World Series himself. Along with that lineup, Lance McCullers, Zach Granke, um, who's the other guy? The uh, Alvarez. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in their rotation. Or Framber Valdez. Fra- Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez, Valdez, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fr- Framber Valdez in the rotation. Anybody that's surprised by the Astros, you really shouldn't be. It's like what I was talking about. Why? Why I expected the Dodgers to roll the Giants? Mm-hmm. Maybe not roll them, but I thought that they would that they would easily win the series. Mm-hmm. And they found themselves down one game to none. It's that playoff pedigree. It is. It's the fact that you've been there and you yeah. know what it takes to win in the playoffs. And Buck mentioned this on the broadcast yesterday, and I thought it was an excellent point. You're mentioning the smoothness of the defense. Yeah, 
He said that that infield is faster. The infield surface is faster than almost any other infield surface in all of baseball, and that includes the, the, the turf fields. So they have to be smooth. Yeah. Right? And they play on that field 81 games a year. They have to be smooth. So the White Sox can certainly get back in this series. They, they can certainly get back in it. But don't be surprised to see the Astros back in the World Series. I would not be surprised at all. And I, I think I, I talked about the Rays pitching and how great that is. I still have questions about the Rays lineup and if that they can get them there. Um, you know, they got destroyed yesterday. Obviously, that was not because of the lineup at all. But I, I still don't know if that Rays lineup is good enough to get them back to the World Series. I'm not sure it could be. Um, but my, my point is here is that, that that Astros lineup, that Astros pitching, it's really good all around. I mean, yeah. there really isn't a weak spot on that team. And Carlos Correa shows up in the playoffs so well. He, I mean, he had a great year altogether. All I believe he was a six-war player. But yeah. Carlos Correa is a playoff hero almost every year that they're in there. And Jose Altuve shows up. Uh, Kyle Tucker is having a great start to the series. So I, I think they're the I think they're the AL representative in the World Ky- Series. Kyle Tucker had a huge year. He did. He did. He, he had really quietly. He had 34 yeah. homers, drove in about 90. Yeah. He had a big year. He, uh, Orestes just got back to me. Okay. Uh, if you want to give him a call again, he said, Let's he's, do it. He said he's good to go. But look, the, the Rays lineup is no slouch. Uh, when, you, when you have Wander Franco, Randy, Randy Rosarena, and Nelson Cruz, and then Brandon Lau hitting two, three, four, five for you. That's a pretty devastating lineup to go along with that great pitching staff. ALCS is probably going to be Rays Astros, and it's going to be a hell of a series. You can say what you want and feel how you want about the Astros. That's going to be a great, great series. And whichever team represents the American League in the World Series, it, it, they're going to be really, really good and have a great chance at winning that series. Uh, we do have Orestes Destrade on the line. He is Tampa Bay's uh, Tampa Bay Rays broadcaster for Fox Sports Florida. Orestes, thank you for coming on under such short notice. Today. We certainly appreciate it. Oh, no problem, buddy. Uh, listen, uh, day off today for pretty much everybody associated with with this uh, flying series, and uh, and I think you know it was welcome for both teams. You know, there's, there's a they kind of surveilled through get here different ways, but it's very stressful. And uh, you just kind of take this day off to, to get back to Boston and, and prepare for what now is a two out of three. Yeah, no, and uh, I got to tell you, so it was a 100-win season for the Rays. They win their first playoff game 5 nothing. You think they're off and running. You think that Devers is hurt. You think Martinez is hurt. And then last night, everything comes back down to earth as Boston absolutely laid the wood, winning 14-6. to They hit five home runs. What happened in that game last night that made it such a lopsided score? Honestly, I think... Uh, a couple of things. Number one, Boston felt that uh, not backs against the wall, but but uh, you know we we can you know hopefully take one here. They're a talented offensive bunch, and and not so much that they beat you with three or four or five home runs. That's usually the Yankee way, especially at their house in the Bronx. But they will slash you. They they will pop you. You know, especially Martinez. Uh, and and uh, you know and and, and uh, Kyle Schwarber, was, which was a nice pickup, as good a pickup as Nelly Cruz was for the Rays. And um, I think that their middle bullpen, uh, you know, honestly, trumped ours, which is usually a uh, you know a given on our side. We usually win that battle. But Whistler, you know, has kind of been on and off of the DL for the last uh, or IL for the last couple of months with that finger tricky finger thing. Uh, surprisingly, Colin, Colin McHugh kind of faltered 
and, you know, and left one out over the plate there, and um, actually a couple, and uh, that was even more of a surprise. But uh, other than that, honestly, uh, it's just a battle. I mean, you look at let's say the National League, and and you got the the you know the Brewers who are not a super offensive team, you know, and they they hung in there with the Braves, and they end up taking that. What about uh, the flip flop with the Dodgers? And, uh, and, um, and in that game, so I'm, I'm really, you know, kind of these first couple of games of the feelers. And now you go into a real two out of three. What I do like is that we do have home field advantage. You know, if, if it comes to that, we need to split at worst and, uh, and then come back home where we've played incredibly well. Do you think that it was a bit of a bold move to start uh, rookie pitchers in each of the first two games. Shane, Shane McClanahan in the first one, and he was he was fantastic. And then Shane Baz, who was less than fantastic uh, last night. Was that a bit of a bold move, or was it out of necessity? Uh, out of necessity, and also out of uh, the Rays way, which is, you know, a bit unorthodox, shall we say, in, in many ways. Uh, nevertheless, also, they are extremely calculated. Um, Shane, you know, uh, Boz was just off with his pitches. It wasn't that far off. He was up a little bit with some of his breaking pitches and uh, and not hitting his tight corners with his 98-99 fastball, which, uh, you know, that that's his key, uh, spotting his fastball. And, you know, very similar, honestly, to what Evaldi's going to try to be featuring, you know, tomorrow afternoon. He's like that type, 97-98 in the corners, and then, you know, a dramatic hard breaking pitch where Shane – you know, he, he pitches with such composure. And this kid has had such a an incredible journey this year from double A, you know, uh, the Olympics, triple A, dominating pretty much everywhere. And, and then, you know, getting to the big leagues and now you're in the playoffs in front of uh, 30,000, 40,000 fans. As cool and calm and collected he was, you know, maybe there was some jitters and, and he got him out of the way and he'll be better. Now, that being said, uh, I was in agreement with that uh, because – we don't have Tyler Glass now. You know, we're, we're missing a bunch of, you know, Chirinos. There's so many pitchers that would be in the mix here that unfortunately are dealing with Tommy John. Erastus, when you look at what Shane Baz did in the, the regular season, three games started, 2-0-3 ERA, he was 2-0, and basically about as good as you can be. He was a very, very solid start to his career. And then he comes out and he does this in the playoffs, didn't have a lot of success. What was the main difference you saw between those games and the stuff he had in those games in the regular season compared to what he did in the playoffs? Yeah, I think uh, I call it heightened awareness. And, and uh, I use it a lot throughout the season. When I played, I tried to achieve it as often as possible. I, I tended to do, thankfully, very well in, in postseason play, whether it was in the minor leagues, you know, major leagues, or, or even uh, in Japan, where I did really, really well and, and won some MVPs in postseason. And that is when you, you just kind of hone everything in and the focus is heightened. And um, I think you saw the Rays collectively have that in game one. I believe they also had it in game two, but there was a smattering of players that, that didn't, whether Whistler was because of just, you know, uh, uncomfortableness as far as not having pitched that much or that well coming off that finger. And then maybe Shane just being a slightly, you know, uh, out of composure, even though he looked really, you know, like he wasn't sweating. So the bottom line, I feel you got guys, for example, like uh, Randy Orena takes his game 
to another level and the heightened awareness goes dramatic. You know, the great ones, Jordan, uh, Gretzky, you name it, they have that heightened awareness come playoff time. Uh, think of Kiki uh, Hernandez with his nine home runs in postseason. Yeah, Who would have thunk yeah. it, as the right. late Bobby Bott would say. That this guy hit his ninth home run in, you know, in, in, in a short tenure of, of playoff seasons. So here's a guy that gets that heightened awareness. And the converse side of it, you know, a player and a team are either going to do one or two things when you get into those type of, you know, delicate playoff scenarios. You're either going to create the heightened awareness or you're going to create uh, heightened concern. If you have heightened concern, it doesn't mean that, you, you know, that you're like fearful and t- tail between your legs. But you have that little bit of trepidation that's enough at this level to miss with your 99, to hang a slider, to, you know, to look up when the ball's, you know, thrown at you and there's an error. That's how this game is. It moves so fast and so dramatic that you're looking for the heightened awareness. And there's several guys and teams that are that, that achieve it. Well, and they got another guy who might be who could fall victim to that tomorrow going for them in Drew Masmussen. It was just announced not too long ago. He'll be making that start. Uh, through his first 12 games, he was mostly a one to two inning reliever uh, for the Rays, and he was very good. But then his last eight games, he yes. he became a starter, four or five inning starts. Is this kind of what the Rays are looking for tomorrow out of him, where they're looking to get four, maybe five innings and turn it over to the bullpen, or is it going to be more of a three-inning type of thing? And- no, I, I believe the way Michael Walker has transformed this season, I will tell you something. There was a point around midseason, guys, that I would have been fine with DFAing him. You just, you know, not even yeah. forget about trading him. There's there was no trading him. It was just like, listen, just release him and call up one of the you know guys from AAA because he's the the fastball is ninety five to ninety six. That's great, but it's pretty straight, and the cutter was just not cutting. So if he's not spotting the cutter, you, you never can get to his out pitch, which is a dramatic pitch since the day he got called up in two thousand thirteen, and that's that great changeup, right? So he can't get to it because he's behind two zero, three one. Missing with the cutter or getting hammered, you know, early with the cutter. So what did he do? And I'm sure Kyle Snyder, you know, the veteran that is walking, and maybe Zanino said, "Dude, scratch that damn cutter. It's a, you know, it's it's a hypothetical great pitch for a lot of guys, but it's not there for you. So what has he done? He spotted his fastball, probably took a monkey off his back with that pitch, and then he's mixed nice little slow curves, and then here comes the changeup. So what's happened? You've got three different pitches that are going in different locations high fastball curve 12 six change up you know down away down at it and it's just made him like a nice five inning solid pitcher that that just surprised the hell out of me he's the most the biggest surprise as far as your turnaround offensively or on the mound that i've seen in a long long time And, and, and it goes to show you that baseball is a adapt change chess game what do you got now? What are they doing for me? Can I adapt and, and make the proper change? And he could. And I think he'll do great tomorrow. Yeah, and the Rays could certainly use it to get themselves back in favor in this series. Now, they yep. have a tough matchup on of their yep. own going up against Evaldi. 2-1, 2-3-9 ERA in 26 and third innings covering four starts against Tampa Bay this season. Dominated the Yankees in the wild card game. What do the Rays need to do to combat Evaldi and take a lead in this series? Not miss uh, when he misses. 
not miss when he misses, which he does miss. Now, he also has the propensity to throw 98 on the black, 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 outer third, inner mm-hmm. third, low, then he splits you, then he, then he cuts you, and then he has this wipeout slurve curve that's, you know, Nolan Ryan-esque. I mean, the guy, as he ages, has become a smarter, better, harder-throwing, and he's had some surgeries of his own. I, I love him. I think he's a bulldog, no nonsense, and uh, he is the key to the Boston success if they move on. It will be Evaldi. Obviously, their offense and, you know, uh, the main three or four hitters, no doubt we know who they are. But Evaldi needs to be that that Kurt Schilling, you know, Pedro kind of guy to um, establish and maybe try to go seven or eight. He's capable. But we're also capable of knocking him around a little bit and then do what the biggest thing the Rays have done now the last couple of years is be very athletic. Get on base, run, you know, hit doubles, walk, and uh, obviously home runs, but really it's about moving, 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 because we have a ton of Ben Zobris players on purpose, which is a calculated move over the last three or four or five years by by uh, uh, Neander and, and uh, the player ops to get a bunch of Ben Zobricks that are interchangeable, athletic, and uh, – and don't complain if they're not playing. Yeah, Ben Zobrist was one of my favorite players. Oh, when, my when God. He, what, he, a, what, he, what, a, what an athlete. What, a, what a baseball player. He could play everywhere. Unbelievable player, yeah. Yeah, and he could play yeah. anywhere. You, you put you put him at third base. You put him in center field. You put him in second. He, he probably could have caught short. games for you if you needed him. He yeah, played yeah. short for like 50 games one year when, when, when uh, we had Jason out. Like 50 games straight. Yeah, he, and and it was like errorless. And then you go to right field; he may have been the best right field in the major leagues. You go to second base; he's great. I mean, and a switch hitter, and you know, above average speed, and smart baseball acumen. So he knows first to third, first to home. What do I got to do? How to play the ball? That's what we got: the Joey Wendells, the Rosarena, the Manny Margot, yeah. uh, Brandon Law. We have more than ever because in two thousand and eight, when they went. It was a more typical baseball team. Three or four lumbering guys with power and two or three speedsters. CC, Crawford, BJ Upton, you know, uh, Bartlett a little bit, but that's about it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and a young Longo. So this team is completely made. In fact, the, the Adamas trade, I believe, was also tied into like a lumbering guy that goes, you know, first to second, second to third. Um, and now you've got the uh, dynamic uh, and Nino 2.0, because I used to call Wander and Nino, uh, Wander Franco, excuse me, um, uh, Damas and Nino. And then you also got in the heels, Walls, Speedy, Defense. You know, he's a 200 hitter. Forget about that. He's going to be a, a Mark Belanger, but with incredible speed. Uh, Bruhan coming up. Wait till you see a full season for Josh Lowe. Oh, my gosh. The guy's legit 6'4", Gazelle who could probably pop 25, steal 25. So they keep on churning them, man. Arrestus, uh, there was a news story that came out this morning. I'm not sure if you saw it yet, but uh, Matt Whistler, you know, re-aggravating the finger injury that's landed him on the injury list a few times this year. But he's been, you know, so far from coming over from the Giants, he's been very good for the Rays, very impactful. What do you make of that? Is, is he going to be out for the Rays for the remainder of the year? Is that is that your expectation? You know, I, I kind of feel it. It's been a lingering issue that 
showed its ugly head last night. I mean, he's not going to excuse himself to say, you know, he just I missed my location. But mm-hmm. at this point in time, for all players, including think of Devers, he's been having some weird swings, and not just weird swings, but like striking out with weird swings. His first at bat yesterday, yeah. a couple of bats the night before. Um, he's not, he's obviously bothered by something, forearm, wrist, I don't know, but you you find. You know, and I also called from a coach of mine, Carlos Tosca, who would say at this point in time, you find a second skin and you get that heightened awareness and you fight through it. And uh, Devers did. And I'm not saying that Whistler can't, but it's a it's a different dynamic that sometimes you just can't overcome actual physical issues. So uh, I feel for him because he did a great job for us for about three, four months. Yeah. And uh, we, we need to, we need Chargua to step up. We need... Uh, fire right step up, and definitely I was surprised about Colin McHugh, and then we need guys like Fairbanks and uh, and Kitty. Yeah, they, we, they... You know, we don't win if that bullpen is in like a five six deep every game, and are successful. Yeah, and I think that's a recipe for disaster for any for any team. Uh, it can a... be. It yeah. can be. I'm not real confident right now, on uh, you know what's going on with Whistler. Obviously, Nick Anderson. Um, didn't make it all the way back, you know, for a minute. And um, we're missing a lot of key guys. Think about it. Ryan Thompson, uh, dramatic last year. Chaz Rowe, dramatic the last couple of years. Uh, Oliver Drake, dramatic. I mean, we're missing Mm -hmm. some steadies that had already become the core and established uh, dynamic relievers, middle setup closers. And, uh, you know, uh, Becks, or or what's the the lefty, um, goodness, Beaks, you know, missing him. Jeez, uh, Conley. I'd like to get him back. Maybe you mm-hmm. know, once we get by this series. Yeah. Well, and and, and speaking of that, then, uh, what are your thoughts? Or what are your hopes of getting past the series, getting back to a World Series, ultimately winning a World Series? To me, this is the best lineup the Rays have ever had. Uh, when you when right. you when you look at who they have top to bottom, is the offense good enough to make up for what they might be lacking on their pitching staff right now? Uh, a couple of things. Number one, I've kind of stopped questioning the Rays as far as the resiliency and the gumption and the potential of coming back, you know, because they're, they're really a special bunch. And one of the reasons yeah. for that is a rarity in professional sports and actually in life, you know, as far as a group of people, you know, that spend so much time together, whether it's work or, you know, whatever it may be. They have something in Japan that's called WA that all the teams over there, you know, strive for. Uh, in fact, uh, Robert Whiting wrote a great book, and I believe in the early '80s called "You ha- You Gotta Have WA." W A, and it's uh, the is his second book uh, about Japanese baseball. His first one, I think, was in the late '70s. Uh, this one I found more interesting about the mentality and almost a business-like um, junior executive mentality that I lived, you know, with, with reference to Japanese baseball and their players and their organization. So uh, even though I take it to a crazy level, WA means unity and we're all getting along together and we, we are able to cohesively go for that one goal. And this team has had that for years now. Uh, even interchangeable players come in and I don't know, I, I don't want to call them a cult guys, but it's just it's the weirdest thing I've ever freaking seen. And, uh, and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. So I don't ever like 
think, oh, they're out of it. But it's going to be tough. The one thing, two things they have is what I just aforementioned. And then secondly, winning that division gives you that home field advantage. Yeah. Same thing that the Dodgers have in their series. They have an opportunity to, you know, to get it back, uh, I believe, right? Didn't they start in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, they started. They started. No, no, they, they started in um, in San Francisco. Oh, that's right. No, because they ended up playing Frisco uh, as opposed to um, uh, the, the Atlanta or the Brewers. Right. You're right. So, so yeah. So they're different. We, on the other hand, have home field advantage. Where, okay, the Boston was able to do what they came in to do, which is achieve a split. We're at least looking for that, and then get back to the friendly confines of of uh, the Tropicana field, and, and I like our chances at that point. No, a- absolutely. Now, uh, to that point, home field advantage, th- the Rays can't seem to get too many fans to show up to the stadium. 27- not not in, in regular season, but we had – it was uh, – I mean, I couldn't walk through that damn uh, uh, <laughs> drop the last two nights, yeah. you know. So, uh, unfortunately <laughs> – we have a lot of people that end up coming out, having a blast, and, and they just don't come out during the regular season much at all. They'll come out once in a blue moon, a $5 beer night. Uh, other than that, we have our diehards, about nine to 11,000 strong. And uh, it concerns me only because of the rhetoric per, well, we might going to go to Montreal. You know, that right. can't happen. Uh, this team needs to stay in the Tampa Bay area, whether it's St. Pete, whether it's you know, channel side over by Tampa, which I think is the best, you know, uh, of all worlds as far as, as we become much closer to Orlando via a bullet train and stuff like that in the coming years. Uh, think about, you know, New Yorkers and, and Bostonites, you know, going to Disney for three or four days and they know the Yanks are in town or Boston's town, and it's a 30-minute bullet train ride, you know, to the new stadium you know, in downtown Tampa or Ebor. Goodness. I mean, we'll have 10,000 from those guys alone. Yeah. So, oh, we um, know all about that in Baltimore. <laughs> exactly. So it's, um, I think that I don't blame the ownership per, I'm not calling them threats. I think they're looking into it, but I don't blame them for throwing that out there. Uh, Chicago did it many, many moons ago the White Sox, and they ascertain uh, Cellular Field, right? Using St. Pete. Uh, the Giants did it, and they were able to acquire, at the time, what, Pac Bell? I mean, no, it was um, when they built the, the ballpark there now, but whatever uh, it was called. Using the Tropicana Field, the Thunderdome, and St. Pete. That they, they were going to St. Pete. Um, you know, Mr. Loria in Miami, what, used Vegas? And uh, meeting with uh, Oscar Goodman, and uh, we're going to Portland, and I've been there, and it's all good. And he got himself a deal. So the problem, without getting into that scenario, is the bottom line of, of, of kind of, you know, quid pro quo of how far is the ownership willing to rise to their tens of millions of dollars to meet, you know, the state of Florida, Tallahassee, Hillsborough, and or uh, Pinellas County in coming together and doing a, a private public because this team should not be anywhere else, but in the Tampa Bay area, guys, uh, just yeah. like Baltimore I belongs, agree. you know, in, in, in the Camden area. And, and, and is one of the, the jewels and the historic teams 
of, of MLB to begin with. Right. I mean, it's, it's Baltimore, you know, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, you know, those, those type of places that establish the MLB. So, hell, man, I hope that one day the Rip brothers, you know, take that baby over and, um, and, and you know, reestablish it. I know you guys are going through a really tough times, but, but um, you know, there's always promise because of the history that the, that the O's have. By the way, I, one of the reasons I know a lot and I love the O's is because, remember, they were in Miami for many, many, many years, and I was a kid who came over from Cuba and escaped Cuba at six years old, grew up in Miami, and, and used to watch, you know, um, Kenny Singleton, who just retired, you know, from his great commentary career, um, you know, Al Bumbry, Elrod Hendricks, Rich Dower, Davey John, I, the list, you know, is, you know, Benny Ayala, guys, you know, Andres Mora, you know, not to mention the great ones like Brooksy and Frank, you know, that I was able to, my dad, we would go to games. I was seven, eight years old and onward when, when, you know, actually Rip came up, I signed, I ended up playing, you know, against him at Bobby Maduro. It's a team that that has always stuck with me and and a, and, a, and a story franchise. Well, isn't it isn't it cool that the the important thing that you mentioned in there is that you used to go to those games with your dad, and I think that that's what yes, what, what probably makes that stick so close to your heart is that you had those memories and those moments with your dad, and I don't think that can be understated. So, uh, really, no, uh, ninety one years old, and he's a he's a tough Cuban doing good down in Miami, man. God bless. Him. Oh, that's that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, hey, Orestes, you came on last second notice really uh did us did us a huge favor here we really appreciate you coming on the program always great to talk to you and good luck to you and the rays the rest of the way thank you guys and uh, hopefully we make it to that next round uh, you know uh, hit me up and uh we'll talk uh alcs yeah absolutely we'll do it all right have a great weekend all right guys see you that was Arrestus Destrade from uh, Fox Sports Florida joining us to talk some Tampa Bay Rays. Again, Sean McAdam was supposed to come on, and yet his flight got delayed, so he unfortunately had to cancel. We're going to try and get him next weekend. Sure, yeah. Uh, but Arrestus coming through in the clutch. Really good guy. Yeah, really good guy. Has a lot of knowledge and a lot of things to say about baseball. and uh, Makes you feel like you're his best friend. When you talk to him, yeah. which is which is a pretty cool way to, to do interviews. I uh, just want to remind you to join us every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zales. I need that. I'm 0-4 in two different leagues. Uh-oh. One and three in another and three and one in another. So I might need all the help I can get from Ken Zales. KZ will help you set your lineups and find deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire to help you win your matchups. It's all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Days Grill. That's a Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zales every Every Thursday at 11:30 a.m. Watch at Facebook.com/slash uh, press. Watch at Facebook.com/slash Pressbox Sports and listen at Pressboxonline.com/slash Radio. Folks, are you disappointed that sports betting isn't in place in Maryland in time for the start of football season? So are we. But if you want to win some money in football, you can do it legally, and we're going to give you some free money to play with thanks to our friends at Underdog Fantasy Football. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Deposit $10 and use the code PRESSBOX, and we'll give $10 free to play with. Underdog not only has daily and season-long fantasy contests, but also prop bets and fun parlay games where you can win 
every week this season. And it's not just football. There are plenty of baseball contests on Underdog, too. So go to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy. Click the Underdog logo, deposit your $10, and get your $10 free. Or use the code PressBox, uh, UnderdogFantasy.com, and have fun winning money with PressBox and Underdog. All right, we're down to the last 10 days to get the current issue of Press Box on the cover. Bo Smoker profiles Ravens quarterback Marlon Humphrey, who may well be the Ravens' next true defensive superstar in the lineage of Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Terrell Suggs. Also inside, we'll introduce you to Maryland Navy, Towson, and Morgan State football players and everything you need to know for the football betting as it launches in Maryland. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, so I think we're going to do our final break. When we come back, we're going to do Take the Rake and close out with a little bit of uh, Ravens conversation. We'll see you after the break. As one of only seven equestrian events of its kind, the inaugural Maryland Five Star at Bear Hill will give you unparalleled access to Olympic athletes in action. Come see the world's best horses and riders compete at the new Bear Hill Special Event Zone this October 14th through 17th in Elkton, Maryland. Don't miss the exhilarating cross-country competition, the elegance of dressage, and the precision of show jumping. There's something for the whole family, including great shopping, the Fresh Food Fest, beer, wine, and spirit showcase and so much more come enjoy a beautiful fall day at the maryland five star at fair hill october 14th through 17th buy your tickets now at maryland five star.us with the number five every seat is the best seat at mnt bank stadium don't miss a moment of ravens football this season single game tickets are now available at baltimoreravens.com slash tickets the Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. The latest issue of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles Ravens cornerback Marlon Humphrey, who may well be the Ravens' next true defense superstar in the lineage of Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Terrell Suggs. Also inside, we introduce you to Maryland Navy, Towson, and Morgan State football players and everything you need to know for football betting as it launches in Maryland. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives can change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close. Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration. 
What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser Show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Taz Bowser Show. The next Tyus Bowser Show is Tuesday, October 19th at Twain's Tavern in Pasadena. It's brought to you by Pressbox. Great Eights memorabilia and true strong services. That Glenn Clark, I'm gonna get. I had to turn it up. I'm gonna get more than more than my fill starting yeah, October yeah. 18th. You will get a a large fill of Glenn Clark radio music. Yeah, so that's yeah. a good thing. It's a, yeah, it's a no, really it's, good thing. It's a great thing. This is epic music. I love it. I'm gonna be. I'm happy to be doing that show. Uh, in case you missed it, the announcement on Wednesday and some of my social media posts. You can turn it down now. Um, some of my social media posts. I will be taking over for Kyle Ottenheimer as the Monday through Friday producer and co-host of Glenn Clark Radio starting Monday, October 18th. Very excited to work with a pro like Glenn, learn from him, become a better host because of it, and be seen by all you fine f- people six days a week. Glenn joked, I'm going to be here more than him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here six days a week. It's true. So... Blessing your uh, your computer screens and your telephone screens and telephone cell phone screens uh, Monday through fr- Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. or most of the time 12:30. Um, take the rake. I took Wander Franco. You took Carlos Correa. You won by the skin of your teeth. Mm-hmm. Franco had more extra base hits. Uh, they both had the. I think they both had two RBIs. Franco's slash line: 444, 444, 667. A 1.111 OPS, Carlos Correa, 500, 625, 667, a 1292 OPS. Now, Franco had more Mm at-bats than, um, he had more at-bats than Correa, and therefore he had more hits, but Correa walked more. Mm-hmm. So and I think I believe struck out less. So Correa wins, which means you get to pick first for take to rake. Uh, what are the qualifications here? Do we have to pick anything? It, it can just be anyone, I'm assuming, right? It can they, be they, it oh. can it can be anyone that's still. I mean, clearly that's still alive in the playoffs. If you, I wouldn't pick somebody from the White Sox. You know right? I mean? Okay, because they're down 0-2. Do you, sorry to cut you off, but do you want, do you want to make this interesting? Go one AL, one NL, for each uh, for each person. Uh, I already shot down one of your ideas today, so why the <laughs> hell not? All right, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Um, hmm. We'll, we'll each pick our AL player first. I'm going to pick my AL player. I'm going to go Randy Rosarena. Why wouldn't I, right? Like, Randy Rosarena is just unbelievable in the playoffs. 11 home runs in the playoffs somehow. That's insane. I'm going to yeah. go Randy Rosarena. And he stole home. Yeah, he did. He did. Benny the Jet steals home. I was going to mention that to Restus Estrada, and I forgot. I forgot. To, I, I was going to ask about that because that was really cool. That was really cool. I'm taking Jordan Alvarez. Nice. Okay. I figured you might go with Carlos Correa just because he's been really hot. And uh, J.D. Martinez was the guy I was really, really close to picking as well. And I was a little bit tougher, honestly. Um, I'll let you. I'll let you pick first here. I've got to think about mine. I, I really. I don't know. There's a lot of. There's a lot of good options here. Oh. Yeah, I know who I want to pick, but I, I, Nas- I National League. I just landed on my guy. Uh, I just landed on my guy, Corey Seager. I'm gonna go Trey Turner. Okay, so the Dodger infield. Yeah, I I I think that's a, a pretty solid selection from both of us. So 
Well, we, we should probably write these down because we're definitely going to forget. All right, I, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> All right, awesome. Perfect. All right, so you t- you take Randy Rosarena and Trey Turner. I don't know why I said I that. I don't know. Right? I really don't know. And uh, I took Jordan Alvarez and Corey Seager. Corey Seager won me take the rake last playoffs because he was the – when I took him, he then became the NLCS MVP. Okay. So – There you go. Yeah. Um, all right, two great picks. We're about to get out of here real quick. Ravens – you thought it was going to be a close game that the Ravens would I win. Did. I, I did. I said the Ravens were going to win by at least two scores, and they won by 16 points. They, yeah. So, yeah, the Ravens won 23-7. I think Lamar is becoming a complete quarterback. Oh, my God. He's so good. He's, he's so, so good. good. And if it weren't for the drops, man, his numbers would be astronomical. He's putting together, quietly, an MVP-type season. And yeah. when, you, when you think about all the injuries, if he gets his team back to the playoffs— and look, the Broncos forced him to beat them with his arm, mm-hmm. right? And he did. Oh, he did. He, sh- he, he It was his third career 300-yard passing game. It should have been his fourth, and it should have been back-to-back mm-hmm. because of the, all the drops against yeah. Detroit. He's playing on another level. And now, right. that, now that he can – he's always been able to throw. But now that he's dropping dimes and proving that he can – and I we, we knew it. We knew he could beat sure. you with his yeah. arm. Yeah. But now that he's proving to the world that he can beat you with his arm, this is a dangerous Ravens team. And they're getting Bateman back. Yes, Boykin's back, but that's I think. Who cares? <laughs> but they might line him up as a receiving tight end. They, yeah, they could. They, they could. You know what I mean? Right. To, to compliment Andrews, uh, this offense might be able to take the top off. Uh, yeah, I'm not confident yeah. in their running game as far as the running backs that they have. I mentioned it last week, and I I'm actually glad that other people are mentioning it too. I think they should trade for Marlon Mack. I disagree. I would not. I, I heard you say that on Glenn Clark Radio. I I'm not a big Marlon Mack fan. I he had that great year in 2019. He rushed for like a thousand yards, but he was I, a he, beast down the stretch. I know. In I know he's. I know he's been injured, and he's now like the third running back there, and he only gets like five carries a game. I'm not really too into that idea, but they need to do something because I'm I'm not a big Latavius Murray guy. I don't get why they bench their best running back in Tyson Williams. I know he fumbles, but come on, like, fumble fumble things, and they don't uh, maybe the blocking. Maybe is the block is what they said in Glenn well, Clark the, Radio. The, the PFF rating he had for blocking was better than Murray's to really? be fair yeah it was like he had like an 85 rating or something like that with with blocking and Murray had way lower than that so I don't know if that's the case I think Devontae Freeman adds nothing to uh, he's team. he's horrible yeah, he's horrible I, I think he I think he adds nothing to this, I agree. To this team I, I, I'd rather see Ty, Tyson Williams is averaging 6.1 yards yeah. per carry why are they benching their best running back uh, the fumbles uh, we all know that the quickest way to get into John Harbaugh's doghouse, yeah. doghouse <laughs> is to not take care of the football right and the only person that gets a pass for that is Lamar mm-hmm. right Yep. Everybody, everybody else, you got to you got to take care of the football. Yep. Um, they're taking on the Colts. I'm gonna be there. I'm ex- I'm super excited. I'm gonna be there because it's they're I'm in jealous. The, it's the Ring of Honor game. Yeah, Lodi uh, Nada. Yeah. My my best friend Adam he runs um the Kenilworth Joseph A. Banks and it's mm-hmm. the largest store in the company. They they take care of the jackets. Wow. Uh, they do the jackets for the Hall of Fame game, so he gets to go to that game uh, as well, which is pretty cool. Um. I was so jealous of him, and now I get to go too. And I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. I think they're going to show out. But Lamar always shows up in prime time. I think they're going to show out. I think Lamar is going to throw for 260 and three scores, rush for another 70 and a touchdown. Uh, Bateman going to get his feet wet. I don't have high expectations for his first game. He's going to be on the snap count. Um, Ravens, Ravens 34. Colts 13. You stole my... I was going to use 34 as well. I'm not going to pick the same number as you now, but I do also agree. I, I I don't see the Ravens losing this game. I really don't. Carson Wentz has two sprained ankles. Carson Wentz is 
not very good overall when he has two sprained ankles it makes him worse so i have i have all the confidence in the world in this one for the ravens um i'm gonna go 28 17 ravens 28 17 see my, my whole thing is who's he throwing the ball to Wentz, yeah, I yeah. mean they don't. Zach Pascal, I guess, is the best receiver they really had this year. Jack Doyle's okay as a tight end. They have, they have Pittman, right? They do have Pittman. Yeah, I mean he, uh, he, he's good. That was a guy I wanted the Ravens to take in the draft a couple of years. Yeah, ago. USC, he catches everything. Yeah. Um, but their 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 main offensive threat is their run game with Jonathan Taylor, Neheim Hines, yep. um, and then Marlon Mack, who I think is still I think he's still really good. He got hurt, and then Jonathan Taylor took the job when he got when when because they were supposed to be in a timeshare last year. Yep. And then Matt got hurt like the first game of the year, right? And Taylor takes over and t- is off and running. I think that they think that that Taylor and Mac are kind of similar runners, mm-hmm. and Himes gives him more coming out of the back, catching the ball out of the backfield. He's more of a change of pace back. I I, I would love to see the Ravens trade for Marlon Mack. He was so good down the stretch in 2019, and and, and he got hurt. You know, it, I don't think that that means he's bad now. I think he just got hurt and lost his job. I can't imagine how good James Robinson would be for this team. But you'd have to give up a third-round pick, yeah. and then you have three starting running backs on your roster next I, year. I agree, but here's here's the way I think about it. This is your Super Bowl window. This is the time where, you know, how long is, is everything really going to be in place where you have a super team like you do right now, where it's as perfect as it is with, with guys on their, still on the rookie deals like Anthony Averett and stuff like that. Like, this is the time for me to go after it. And if you can go after it and get – I think they have a ton of third-round picks coming up uh, in next year. I think they have like four or something uh, crazy in that, in that area. So I'm trying to win the Super Bowl. I would, I would go out and get a guy like James Robinson personally because I, I, I'm just not sold on Latavius Murray at all. Not at all. Be, I don't think that we've seen anything where you can be sold on anybody. No. In that, even Tyson Williams. No. Where you can I mean, be sold on anybody in, in, in that Ravens backfield. I think we can both agree because he's done it each of the last two years. Eric DeCosta is going to go out and make a move. I agree. He, I, he's I, going to add to this team. He, sure. He, he did it with Marcus Peters uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. He did it with Yannick Ngakwe. Now, it wasn't a great addition last year, but he did it with Yannick Ng- yeah. Ngakwe in 2020. I think he's going to go out and make a move, whether it's for an offensive lineman or a running back to make this team yep. that much better offensively. He's going to do something. We can agree on that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think offensive line is a very good possibility, but I also i am very confident he makes a move for a linebacker. I think the Ravens really need a middle linebacker. Patrick Queen has played very bad. He's been he's been poor. He's been really uh, bad. I, I've I've been giving him the benefit of the doubt. Same. But last year, last year, last week, I watched him. He can't tackle. He can't tackle. He can't tackle. He, he can't tries, tackle. He tries to overpower guys. He tries with, with his shoulder. He tries to. Yeah. The, he misses a lot of tackles. He doesn't break down yep. to make. If he runs, he, he's stupid fast, he right? Is. Yeah. And he runs to the play, but he doesn't break down, and yeah. the guy just makes a move and gets right by him. And it's so easy to block him because he just he falls down. I mean, if if it's an offensive lineman, even a big tight end, he just gets thrown to the ground. He's too he's a little too small, and that's one of the issues that I think we're seeing. And then Josh Bynes, I mean, you know, he's, he's old. Josh Bynes yeah. is is you know, he looks and, old. and Malik Harrison hasn't really done much at all this year either. So I would make a move for either an offensive lineman or a middle linebacker. I think that makes good. Maybe sense. they make a couple of moves. They could for sure. Know? Um, but I think, like I said, we can both agree they're going to do something. Definitely. But look, you got the Ravens win twenty eight seventeen. I got the winning 34 to 13 on Monday Night Football. I yep. will be there. Uh, Have fun. Yeah. And then I'll be back on Glenn Clark Radio on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to be on and I'm more so observing what Kyle does Got it. Uh, on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. But we will be here every Saturday, including next Saturday, uh, talking Orioles and postseason baseball on the Bat Around. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, see ya.